Stephanie. And I'm Joel. And this is Sunday School Cinema. Yay. Um, I am pretty excited, actually, to talk about the movie today. I have a lot of thoughts. Um, today we are talking about... Makes I, sense. Yeah, yeah. Today we are talking about uh, 2002's M. Night Shyamalan's movie Signs. Joel, how long had it been since you had seen Signs? Oh, <clears throat> uh, I don't know exactly. Uh, probably at least a decade. Same. Which I feel like is a common thread with most of these movies. Even even ones I really liked, I haven't really rewatched. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but I did really like Signs a lot when I was younger, um, and I, I do still like it. Uh, do we want to do we want to talk about our experience with Shyamalan overall first? Uh, yeah, I think that's a reasonable place to start because it's it's definitely going to be a. Uh... A significant part of the conversation, I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, should I start or do you want to go? <laughs> uh, go ahead. Okay. So, M. Night Shyamalan was my first favorite director. Uh, he, and not just because I liked his movies, although I, I did a lot, um, but because it was the first time that I can remember, like, watching multiple movies by the same director and being able to see... Like, oh, he's, like, asking similar questions or playing with similar themes, and he likes these certain types of shots. Um, and it felt like it felt like I had seen a new thing <laughs> that I had never, like, been able to recognize before. That was super exciting. Um, I think, so, I mean, before Signs came out, although Signs is definitely my favorite of his, but I was 18 when Signs came out. And I feel like, I think Sixth Sense came out when I was a little more like 14. Um, and I really loved... I think Sixth Sense was 99. Oh, was it 15 then? 15. Um, Might have been 98. Let's see. Uh, Sixth yeah. Sense was 99. Yeah, yeah, 99. So I was 15. Um, and then also, before that, he had a movie that I was obsessed with that I have not watched in many years, but occasionally consider watching again, which was uh, Wide Awake, which was in 1998. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you're the only person who's ever heard of that movie, but I know, it was a movie I know. That you did before Sixth Sense. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was obsessed with that movie. If anything, I loved that movie more than Signs. I was, I, I really loved that movie. I think we rented it once. It's like a family thing, and I think I was the only one who was really obsessed with it, but I definitely watched it <laughs> more than once. Um, and I think particularly with Shyamalan's early work in particular, um, it did feel like he was asking a lot of questions about, I don't know, God and the afterlife. And obviously, science is sort of the most explicit set of God questions. But um, yeah, science is real Jesus-y. Science <laughs> is real Jesus-y. <laughs> I, I hadn't even really remembered that. But mm -hmm. yeah, we'll get into that, obviously. <laughs> he lost me at the happening. I was with him up through Lady in the Water. Um, and then <laughs> and See, the happening I happened. <laughs> I was too. Uh, in hindsight, I don't oh, know yeah. that I would still be. Although no. I am kind of curious. I haven't rewatched Lady in the Water or The Village since the theater. I uh, may I not that, have either. <laughs> I know they both have their defenders still, but I feel like most people, for most people, he lost them with Lady in the Water. Yes, and, and for a significant number of people, he lost them with The Village. But I definitely stuck with him through both of those two. Yep. Uh, 
And yeah, the happening was the breaking point for me as well. Sure was. And I think at this point I have seen, well, I haven't seen quite every movie of his. I haven't, I haven't seen, um, I haven't seen old, of course, that just came out and I didn't watch glass. I haven't seen after earth and I also didn't see his last airbender movie. Um, I have seen both of those. They're very, very bad. (laughs) Yeah. Apparently he also had a movie before wide awake called praying with anger. Uh, in which he was he was the lead actor, <laughs> but it was a feature. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm just looking at that now. Yeah, I had never heard of it until I was looking up his stuff after watching Signs. But yeah, interesting. That is well, another movie that he did. So I and you know yeah the happening sort of broke broke me on him. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. but he's but he's done stuff. I mean you know I I watched. Um, Let's see. I I think you didn't you and I watch the visit together. Yes, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which was a totally competent, like enjoyable enough movie. I feel like. Yeah, it was. It was a real like kind of basic horror thriller kind of thing, but it was pretty well done. Yeah, it was good. I do think like hating on Shyamalan is popular, and I I don't even think without reason. Uh, <laughs> but I do think yeah. like, he's. He is very skilled at certain elements of filmmaking. Um, mm-hmm. he's, I mean, he's great at the technical visual side of it. Yeah. His, his weakness is his writing. He needs to start letting other people write his movies. But <laughs> we'll, we'll get deeper into that. But Yeah, and then I, I know Old has gotten sort of mixed reviews, although not terrible reviews. Um, I did see Old. I'm, I'm debating if I should talk about it during this section or save it for the... It, it may figure into this section, but uh, let's yeah, let's see what happens. We'll do a spoiler if we need to. Um, and then I I watched Split, which I thought was an extremely like well made movie in all of the technical ways. And uh, by the end of the movie, I was filled with rage about the <laughs> seeming morals of the story. So I I still have like a tiny bit of an unreasonable soft spot for Shyamalan just because he was my first like major director. And because I do think that he is, I do think that he is still talented. I just, I I mean, I agree with you. His writing leaves something to be desired frequently. And um, I think he got a little too, uh, a little too full of himself early on. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you know, after, I think it was after signs, he was being called the next Spielberg. Yep. I mean, he got an Oscar nomination for The Sixth Sense. I would say, I think that started after The Sixth Sense. I think people were already... Maybe. A, a lot of people considered Unbreakable to be kind of a disappointment at the time, although now it's kind of a kind of like an underground classic sort of thing. Right. Although he undid a lot of that with Split and Glass, at least in my opinion. But, um, I mean, Glass, Split, I thought, was kind of okay across the board, although... Um, James McAvoy was really good in it. You know, there's a lot of good performances in it. He gets good people in his movies, but uh, Glass was terrible. I was, it was really bad. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's what I heard, and I, I, I could not quite bring myself to watch it. So, so what about you, Joel? What are your? You know, I'm trying to remember in what order I saw those early ones because I definitely, I did not see The Sixth Sense when it first came out. I would have been a little too young. Yeah, it was my first like horror um, movie in theaters, really. Yeah, I can't remember when I first saw it. But it would have been. I, I, I think I saw Unbreakable and Signs at least before I saw The Sixth Sense. That makes sense. I um, remember us watching Unbreakable as a family. But I really liked Unbreakable. I haven't watched it now in quite a while, but I, Same. <laughs> I did. I did really like it, and I suspect I would still really like it. Um, 
And I, I rewatched The Sixth Sense not too long ago. In fact, I think it was recently enough that I probably talked about it on here. Yeah, that sounds right. Uh, and I still, I still really like that one too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. Uh, the, and yeah, like I said, you know, the happening was also kind of the, the, the jumping off point for me. Although, I don't know what I what I remember about Lady in the Water. The main thing that I remember about Lady in the Water is, I guess, spoilers for that one is that, <laughs> and this this is another of his problem. Like, it's not just the fact that he insists on writing his own stuff, but he insists on writing roles for himself that yeah. are like pivotal to the plot. And, and he's, he's not a good actor. He's not a good actor. <laughs> so, in fact, actually, I, I thought I thought he did okay in Signs. Actually, uh, he really Super only had minimal, one scene, but I, thought, I would say just the yeah, but. I thought he handled it okay, um, and it was it was like this was the first one where he gave himself a a role that was important to the plot. Because um, in the Sixth Sense and Unbreakable, it was it was literally just cameos. I mean, right. And and I think I think in the Village it was the same thing. He was he yep. was in a reflection, like it was a it wasn't even really a role. Yeah, he was. But the artist this was his first. This was his first like dipping his toes into like I'm going to give myself a real piece of this. And I did think he did okay in this, but man, in Lady in the Water, he, yeah. as I recall, he was a he played a writer who's writing Save the World. He sure fucking did. Which, <laughs> I mean, at least in Signs, he was like, you know, he wasn't just giving himself the like it was an important character, but he was not a good guy, and like his actions had ruined the lives of all the main characters. Like it was. I don't if he was a bad guy it was hard to say but you know it was well, it was a tragedy that he i don't know i mean yeah. i don't think we saw anything that indicated he was particularly a bad person maybe not but like he, he, he wasn't was, drunk or anything. he was he didn't he didn't write himself in as a hero like no no it wasn't it was a complicated character yeah and it, so it didn't it didn't feel self-aggrandizing the way it did in lady in the water yeah. and <laughs> And he has a he has a fairly significant supporting role in old as well. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> uh, I mean, not like you know, the, the, you know, the movie's about this group of people that are stuck on this beach, and he's not one of the people on the beach. So like he's, but he shows up at the the start and the end. Okay. Uh, and it's 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 an important character to the plot. I we we I guess we probably shouldn't spoil that one because that yeah, one's that recent feels, enough. That and feels I, really new. Yeah, but at any rate. Uh, that, that's yeah. That's another. A lot of his problems really do seem like he just he's like he's incapable of second guessing himself. Like, yeah, and like nobody either. Nobody and, like and, tells him no, or he doesn't have right. anybody he'll listen to. Well, because at this point, I think he's mostly funding his own stuff. Yeah, like at least he was for a while. I don't. I don't know if I don't know about his most recent stuff because like he has an Apple TV show now too. He does Servant, which I've I heard mixed like. I have. Yeah. I haven't watched it, but. I, I know it has its fans. Yeah. Um, but there is like, it seems like there is like a dedicated group of people who have decided that his visual style and such are enough that they are going to stick by him as a director, uh, even if his writing leaves a lot to be desired. <laughs> um, I can't yeah. quite go that far, but. No, same. <laughs> um, yeah, but. It really is. It's a weird story that like his is one of the the most sort of dramatic falls from grace that I can remember that didn't involve like an actual scandal. Well, and you and you do you do have to wonder like you do have to wonder if 
Like, would his fall from grace have been quite so dramatic if he'd been white? Um, like, not to say the yeah. movies would have been better, but, like, I feel like white, like mediocre white right. men get away with an incredible amount without, like, losing... Like, there was, there was a... When, when Devil was coming out and some of these were... They wouldn't put Shyamalan's name on the screen because when they, they put his... Or when After Earth was being advertised, I think, because people would boo right. when it came up in the trailers. Like, it was a very intense yeah, reaction. I mean, yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I rarely hear Shyamalan talked about as a person of color, which I mean, obviously he is, but I feel like that is not usually part of the discussion about him. No, I agree. And uh, I, I'm not quite sure what to make of that. I mean, the the fact that his movies are usually primarily about white people is probably a big part of that. Even his last um, Airbender movie, like, which is somehow whitewashed all the hell. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think the only movie that he has where, like, the majority of the cast are people of color is After Earth, I think. Right, and, and that was and that was bankrolled and and pushed by Will Smith, who it was, I mean, yeah, his story. Yeah, I think calling that his movie is a bit of a stretch. Yeah, uh, it doesn't feel like a Shyamalan movie at all. From what I hear, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I I I I definitely wouldn't say that's not a factor. It probably is a factor. It's just an interesting um, but, thing that, like you said, I think doesn't get talked yeah. about that much, and it does. It does. I do wonder sometimes. Yeah. But he had like, I mean, I guess J.J. Abrams would be like the like he was he was the next guy that people were calling the next Spielberg, right? Yes. Uh, and he, you know, there's obviously debate to be had about the quality of his output, but uh, I don't think it has ever dropped to the level that Shyamalan dropped to. <laughs> but uh, he's he's definitely been uneven. But I don't think anyone thinks of him in those terms anymore either. He, but he didn't have the. He didn't have the same sort of fall from grace that Shyamalan had. No. But it is interesting. Like, I, I, I can't think of another example. Because, you know, he had The Sixth Sense. that got, like, all these Oscar nominations, including Best Picture for a horror movie, which is, like, unheard of. Yeah. I think he got nominated for Best Director for it. And, you know, it was it was this massive thing. It was it – was, that movie was one of the I, – I think I, – I might have this wrong, but if I remember correctly, I think there was a brief period where that movie was in the top ten months. Makers of all time. I think that's correct. Yeah. Like it was number ten for a brief period. I think that movie was huge. Yeah, it was. It was um, nominated for uh, best editing, best original screenplay, best director, best supporting actor, best supporting actress, and best picture. Yeah. So that's like, a lot. <laughs> especially for a horror movie. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, and you know, and then he had Unbreakable, which was considered a disappointment. I think. You know, it didn't get Oscar nominations. It didn't make nearly the money that The Sixth Sense did. But, but you know, it's almost impossible to follow up something like The Sixth Sense with something that's going to equal that, particularly when you're not doing, like, a sequel. You know, you're actually doing an original yeah. thing. And it was weird. This was before the superhero movie thing had kicked off. Uh, I mean, I guess I guess Spider-Man came out in 01, I think. So it would have been right before that. But it was before that. It was like a big. You couldn't market it as like, oh, here's M Night Shyamalan's superhero movie. You know, it wouldn't. That wouldn't have been right. That wasn't like a thing. That would. People were talking about it in those terms when it came out. From what I remember, it was kind of like a stealth superhero movie. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I mean, like I I do think that credit where credits due. Shyamalan, even though his there is no doubt that his writing skills sometimes leave something to be desired. He is one of the few directors that has consistently, basically throughout his whole career, put out original stories that aren't attached mm -hmm. to other properties, yeah. um, which is is unfucking common. There, there are, a few, I mean, obviously Avatar was an exception to that. Old is actually based on a graphic novel. Oh, 
I didn't know that. Um, Interesting. I didn't know that either until I got to the opening credits of the movie. But uh, but still, I mean, he, most of his movies. Yeah, uh, those are, other, those might be the only two that are. Well, Avatar. Or well, yeah, Avatar, Avatar and old. Right. Yeah, yeah, the only two. Yeah. Well, I mean, like after yeah, and after Earth is an original story. It just wasn't his original story. So. Right. And you know, and so then he had signs, which was, I, you know, it was, it didn't get the kind of awards buzz that the Sixth Sense did. It didn't no. get, but it was, it was very well received, and it's still considered very good by, you know. It's most one of those people, movies that's pretty popular to hate on, I think, um, because of the twist at the end. But, uh, but I, I still know quite a few people who will, who will stand by it, <laughs> including yeah. me. For the record, I. I still think it's good. I just don't think it's quite as earth shattering as I did when I was 18. Yeah. I mean, that's like, and you were talking about how he was like your first favorite director. Yeah. My dog is whining. <laughs> so you're going to hear my dog in the background. She's locked in the bedroom with me and she doesn't like it. Um, <clears throat> he was not my first favorite director, but he was definitely one. Like, I think we've talked about this before. Signs is like a perfect movie for people who are like, just getting into to yes. film on like a deeper level, right? That it has it has it, it's very competently made. Uh, it, it has a lot of really good performances from honestly way more actors than I even remember. I was a little bit. Same. It was one of those movies like watching it. And I was like, holy shit, that person did it. Same, <laughs> I did same. Not, I remember that there was a lot of that. Uh, we'll get into that too. But uh, it's it has and it has what you know watching it now are kind of obvious like uh you know thematic mm-hmm. uh thematic elements going on that are you know they they in fact i would go so far as to say that maybe a bit <laughs> fisted but as a teenager yes. who's like just starting to really get into movies it's kind of a uh a, a 101 sort of lesson on like so this is how you you foreshadow things and you tie character uh, character elements and mm-hmm. in like into the themes of the movie and well I mean it's it, it's accessible right like it's a really accessible movie and it's a really accessible movie that feels incre- that feel one of my first notes that I wrote down was that the pace and tone of this movie undoubtedly felt incredibly artistic to me at 18 because right. it wouldn't have been like anything I had really watched before just the fact that it's like it's it is a movie that is set in the midst of a global alien invasion and we stay entirely with this one family that lives in a farm like that seemed like such a cool idea to me when i was a kid and also like, and also the fact that it's that there is so little background music and background noise and stuff that the way yeah. the way that so much of the dialogue is delivered and i don't think it all lands now um but I think the way that so much of it is that it wouldn't have felt pacing wise like much of anything else I had ever seen. So mm-hmm. it felt really now that's not as much the case. But <laughs> at 18, yeah. it felt like something new in like a very artistic way, but that I understood. Right. And it had all these sort of like, you know, Christian-y themes yes. <laughs> in, a, in a way that felt like, you know, something that a serious person might talk about yes uh, so for for us in particular it also worked very well on that level absolutely like this serious filmmaker who's making serious movies is confronting these issues on these terms yes is like really asking these questions which incidentally is also kind of what wide awake was although that was more of a children's movie but i do think that he 
there is this there is this thread for a little while of him going of him essentially asking like okay if god exists like the fuck like awful Mm -hmm. things still happen and how do we make sense of this how do we how do we reconcile you know, it's the it's the old question of like, how can a god who is who is both truly good, like who is truly all powerful, also be truly good, given mm-hmm. what we see in the world? Um, and it's you know, in 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 the end, he we get a dramatic, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess, affirmation of God. Um, so so it also I think felt safe to talk about those things with like you could talk about the question, but they still came around to the you know, right answer or whatever. Mm -hmm. It felt, it felt like it was a comforting kind of fairy tale for like exactly where we were, I think, at least for me. Mm -hmm. So you want to, you want to start in? (laughs) Yeah. I think that, that, that lays the stage pretty well for talking about signs. Mm -hmm. So signs, I'm going to run through the cast real quick. So we've got Mel Gibson in the lead, of course, which is a, 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 the I think the obvious follow up to his his pair of movies with Bruce Willis. <laughs> no doubt. Uh, that kind of kind of kind of, uh, you know, with Bruce Willis, I think he kind of he sort of recontextualized Bruce Willis as an actor for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, people who, you know, this John McClane and what, you know, he not that Bruce Willis hadn't done non-action stuff before, but. Yeah, it was a different milieu, I think, mm-hmm. for him. Both yeah. movies were. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he, he's a good actor. And so is Mel Gibson. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, Unfortunately. You know, both, both problematic figures. Gibson more so, I think. But they're both good actors. So you got, he's, got, he's got Mel Gibson as this, this former priest, although we don't know why he's former when the movie starts. We, mm-hmm. we learn pretty early that he has given up the not priest priest is the wrong word uh reverend reverend yeah they call him father which is confusing to me because there are priest. several things about the way that yeah. they approach him as a where i'm just like okay this feels like you wanted him to be catholic but also have a family right that's, um, yeah, he had, he had kids, so. um, i don't know if there are if there are evangelical reverends that people call but that but it is a it's a running thing throughout or, the, who are called father rather. yeah it's a running thing throughout the movie that everyone keeps calling him father and he keeps having to tell them not to because he's not a reverend anymore <laughs> yes uh so <laughs> in, yeah sometimes in scenes that are very funny um so he's he lives on this farm uh in pennsylvania this corn farm mm-hmm. with his younger brother played by joaquin phoenix in a, a great sort of early joaquin phoenix role before he was really playing leads mm-hmm. um and his children, played by Rory Culkin, I think the who is I think the youngest of the Culkin actors. I think so. And Abigail Breslin, who I had not remembered was the girl in this movie until That's I got like to the credits. Or I don't know how old she yeah, actually was, but I so not, little. Yeah, I didn't remember that she had been around before Little Miss Sunshine. Oh, okay. But that's that's who it was. Yeah. Um and, and she's fine for being like four or whatever. Yeah, both both kids do fine. <laughs> um, and so the movie starts with uh, with Gibson's character waking up uh, to the sound of of his children screaming from out in the cornfield. Mm-hmm. So him and and Joaquin Phoenix go running out into the cornfield, and they discover this big flattened uh, a crop crop sign. Is that crop signs? Is that what yeah. they're called? Am I or crop circle? Which, crop circles, right? Which I feel that was like the whole thing with the marketing and all that. And I 
feel like that's not really an element of the movie that people talk about anymore. I had almost forgotten that that's what it was. <laughs> I had forgotten so much of this movie for it being a movie yeah. that I know I watched like multiple times. Yeah. Yeah. No, same here. Um, but so they, they, yeah, they've got this, he finds this big crop circle out in his field and it's really, the kids are scared and, you know, he doesn't know what to make of it. And the dogs are all uh, running around barking. I had totally right. forgotten about the shit with the dogs. Yeah. We'll get, there's some intense dog stuff in this movie, uh, which is a, it, it, that is that kind of thing. I think is actually a, uh, a hallmark of, of Shyamalan. Uh, he tends to have, he'll drop like a little disturbing thing like that into a movie that even if, you know, this is like, this is, you know, it's a, it's a thriller ish movie. It's got some sure. really intense stuff, but most of it is not to that level. Right. Um, but <clears throat> so, you know, he, he calls the sheriff, uh, played by what's her name? Cherry, Cherry Jones, I think. Cherry Jones, right. Who, who is, is fucking great. great, and I had totally forgotten she was in this. Yeah, she's she's one of those character actresses who shows up all over the place, and she's always good. Uh, I actually learned, reading about her while watching this, that she originated the role of Sister Aloysius from Doubt on Broadway. Oh, shit, that's cool. Yeah, she's fucking great before. in uh, Succession right now. <laughs> so. Yeah, and she was great in Transparent, too. Yeah. Um, oh, she's. I mean, she's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's basically no one. <laughs> right, she's the sheriff. She also keeps calling William father. <laughs> but uh, no, basically no one knows what to make of these weird crop cir- circle things. He he thinks it's probably a couple of local asshole, you know, twenty something dudes, troublemakers. Right. Uh, but can't seem to pin that on anybody. <laughs> <laughs> but it sets off this. This is the beginning of this this uh, this chain of events. Particular, so we have the the dogs uh, freaking out as kind of the first. And I, I can't remember. Yes, yeah, so he he's out while he's out in the field with the sheriff, looking at the, the the crops. He realizes he doesn't hear his kids. Well, because first at first they were like the dog peed in the house. I think he's sick because he doesn't do that. And he was like, take him outside. Right. And then while he's out there, the sheriff is like, we've been having some animal problems lately. They're right. acting, acting really like weird. They're yeah, they're yeah. peeing on themselves. Like it's and then he realizes he doesn't hear his kids. Um, and we see a pretty. It is a scary scene. Uh, by the way, I just looked up. Abigail, Abigail Breslin was five, was six when the movie came out. Wow, um, so okay. she, it, it was her first movie. She has one listed thing before that, which was like a, a toy commercial. Um, okay. And, you know, so she's very, very cute and tiny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Rory Culkin is, I mean, he's Rory Culkin. He looks like he looks like a Culkin. Um, yeah. He's cute. Um, and, you know, they're they're trying to give the dog. He looks, you know, he looks he looks exactly like Kieran looked in Father of the Bride. Yep. Yep. That's what he, like if you, if you told me they were the same kid and I didn't know anything about either movie, I think I would believe you. Yeah. Strong genes in those in yeah. family. Um, and uh, and they're trying to give the dog some water. Um, and, you know, uh, Bo is Abigail Breslin's character's name, sort of pushes the water towards the dog and it growls and you see it get really tense. And, uh, Morgan is the other child, uh, who is a smart fucking kid, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, you know, grabs Bo and is like, don't run. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and so and so and then we cut and we so we leave these kids being stared down by this obviously agitated and dangerous looking German shepherd. So like not mm-hmm. big <laughs> not, dog, bigger than they are. Big, yeah. yeah, definitely bigger than her. Um, yeah. and then Mel Gibson. And then we have the scene with them, and Mel Gibson realizes he can't hear his kids, and comes running across the field, only to find to find Morgan on the ground next to the dog crying. Um, and there's a there's a barbecue fork sticking out of the dog's neck um, mm-hmm. because the dog tried to attack them, and he protected his sister, which is just I mean these children have already been through so much as right. like holy fuck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I honestly felt watching this time I was like I feel like we don't spend enough time <laughs> with how fucking traumatic that would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Bo is like catatonic on the playground and and I, I do think it's like watching I did think that Mel Gibson's performance in this movie is is interesting. He really is playing a man who is so like clouded by grief that he just like can't right he has like a pretty flat affect for almost the whole movie with a couple mm-hmm. of notable exceptions and initially it comes across a little weird but I, I think as it goes on we start we start understanding more and like Joaquin Phoenix has a few lines where you start understanding like this isn't how he normally is like he's right he's suffering and like unable to he's lost right. all the things even if we don't know what everything is yet yeah I mean we I think we find out around then that his wife had died and that his brother uh, Merrill, Merrill mm-hmm. had had moved in uh, to help basically when that had happened, and so that you know that's something that had happened relatively recently. I don't think we know exactly, but he said he hadn't been a reverend for six months. I think. Yeah, yeah. So it was, it's like clear, definitely within the last year. Yes. Uh, he'd had this thing. And Bo is so little. I feel like there's a line in there. I don't even remember what it was, but Bo is so little that I feel like she's she kind of doesn't remember. Yeah. Whereas uh, Morgan does. I, yeah, Morgan definitely. Yeah, I can't remember what the line was either, but I, I caught that too, but I can't remember what it was either. Yeah, whereas, you know, she's just, I mean, she was probably like four. Like, it's hard right. to... So this is kind of the life she's known so far. <laughs> and yeah. one of her weird things that comes up a couple times by this point um, is that she has sort of a, a thing about water uh, where she'll, like, take a couple sips of a glass of water and then say it's contaminated, something's wrong with it. And so there's glasses of water, like, all over the house. I must go through a lot of glasses. Um. <laughs> oh, and we also learn about Morgan's asthma. After, right. After he has to kill the dog. That's the the first time it shows that. So, and this is what I'm talking about, about foreshadowing and, like, yep. tying character traits into the, the themes of the movie and stuff. It starts laying all this groundwork for these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have this really traumatic experience. And wait, does Cherry tell them to go to town? That's when she comes back after the... Yeah, that's a little later. Okay. Yeah. So, whatever, there's there's a thing where, like, uh, Bo comes to Graham's bedroom and is like, you know, there's a monster outside my window or whatever, which he kind of... <laughs> it's like, okay. And he goes, that, was, that, was, that was the line from the trailer, if I recall correctly. The, there's a monster outside my window. Can I have a glass of water? Yes. yes. <laughs> um, and so he, you know, he gets her a glass of water. He takes her back to bed. Um, what does she ask him? She asks him, oh, she asks him why he talks to mom. When he's alone, yeah. When he's alone, why does he talk to mommy when he's alone? And, and he says, you know, it makes me feel better or whatever. And she's like, does she ever answer? And he says, no. And she says, she never answers me either. And so he's having this very sad <laughs> conversation. Like, this whole family is obviously just beyond traumatized at this point. Um, and then he glances up out her window, <laughs> and there is a humanoid 
figure. Right. There's a silhouette on the roof. <laughs> yeah. So he, yeah. he comes running downstairs, grabs Meryl and says that, you know, these asshole kids that he thinks it is are outside again. Um, and this is a pretty funny scene. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think I found it as funny as I found it when I was younger, but it definitely still right. is pretty. Uh, where Meryl's like, "It's okay, we're gonna, you know, you run around the house one way, I'll run around the house the other way, and we'll just scream like crazy, and and we'll scare them, we'll meet them out front." And he's like, "What, what does that mean?" And he's like, "Like swear and stuff." And he's like, "I can't swear. It sounds. <laughs> it doesn't sound natural when I curse." Yeah. He's like, "Well, then just yell." <laughs> Um, so they, uh, you know, what, what is the line? I am, I am filled with furious anger. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm insane with anger. I think is what he yes. says. Yeah. Been running around the house yelling, I am insane with anger. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty uh, funny. And they get back around and they can't, there's, you know, no one, no one was around the house and then there's someone on the roof and then something happens and they appear to jump over their heads and like run off into the cornfield. So, and you know, there you see this like sort of mode to them being like, I'm not sure this is, uh, <laughs> this is the, right. this is, this is the thing they, they can't explain this. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, uh, Cherry comes back the next day, um, has a brief conversation with Meryl about how nice it was of him to come and stay with his brother. And he's like, I'm not sure it's doing any good. And she's like, no, I mean, it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then they try, to, they try to explain what happened in which like, Joaquin Phoenix's line is definitely the best. I think in this scene where like, they're like, it was a guy and like, they just keep saying it was dark. It, it was very dark. <laughs> this is one thing about this movie that i feel like at least in my memory it was it was not something i really remembered and i feel like it's kind of underappreciated is that this movie is very funny in places like it has good in, you know in kind of a yeah it's not like it's obviously it's not a comedy and it's not like funny all the way through but it has some very funny moments so cherry's like you know do you know like she's like i don't know if i'm looking for a giant or a midget Right. Yeah, well, he, def- he definitely wasn't a midget. <laughs> okay, so he was tall. It's like, oh, maybe. Well, maybe. She's like, are you sure it was a guy? And Joaquin Phoenix is like, I don't know any women who can climb or jump like that. And right. She- and then she starts talking about how the Olympics right. have-, have women. <laughs> Do high jumping in the Do Olympics. high jumping in all these things. Yeah. At some point, Meryl just sort of exasperated. It's like, so assuming it wasn't... <laughs> A high jumping Scandinavian gymnast. What <laughs> yeah. is option two? <laughs> um, and it is funny. It's a funny line. It's it's amusingly delivered. Mm-hmm. And it's around that time that Bo comes in and is like um, trying to change the channel, and the same shows on every channel. And it's like, which I think that I thought was interesting about this movie. Is that it is right at the point technology wise where there are things that seem insane. Right. <laughs> There's no yeah, no, they're like listening to the radio for news and like She can change the no channels on the TV. She doesn't even need her right. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously no one has smartphones or anything and you Well know, and it feels like they're, they're a little behind the times, I think, but like when I watched it at eighteen it didn't seem like yeah. So it was just a little bit, but watching it now, it feels like well, a it took, it, You know, it, it took a few years before movies started showing smartphones. Like they had been a thing in the world for a few years before you really started seeing them regularly in movies and stuff. So this, it was definitely not 
like it didn't feel anachronistic. The thing that stood out to me was um, when the they first are recording like the aliens over the cities or whatever, and uh, you know, and uh, Morgan is like, we have to record this, and they have a fight yeah. over what right. tape to record it on. Yeah, but was yeah. like my ballet recital. Yeah, <laughs> and like that to me felt just like I mean. It just feels insane now. Like it's not yeah. like what does that mean? But I think this would have been pre DVR, wouldn't it? Probably. I mean, I or like at the very least, it would have been like it would it would it definitely would not have been a thing that like most people had at that point. No, no. it was just interesting. No. It was a it was a notable thing. Anyway, the point is, there's a shit ton of crop circles popping up around the world like really fast. Right. And you know they don't know what's going on, and they just we just keep hearing snippets. Um, through the TV or the radio of like things that, you know, and then in between they're just kind of living their lives and trying to do their thing. Um, and anyway, so when Cherry leaves that time, she's like, look, like y'all have been through a lot. Just like take your kids to town and do something mm-hmm. normal. Like, right. <laughs> which is good Think advice. Think about something else for a while. Yeah. It's good advice. What Jesus. Um, so he takes them to town uh, Bo and Morgan go to a bookstore, and he goes to pick up a pers- uh, to pick up the prescription for Morgan's. Uh, right, and here we have what might be my favorite scene in the movie, honestly, with um, Merritt Weaver. <laughs> yeah, an early Merritt Weaver performance. I, I did not remember that it was her uh, as Tracy Abernathy. <laughs> I don't know if she had been in much before then, but she's right. She's the the teenage girl working behind the pharmacy counter who's like all freaked out that the world is ending and asks Mel Gibson if she can confess to him. In spite of the fact he is, he was never a Catholic priest and he is now not any kind of... She says to get something off her chest. Right. It's like, yeah, whatever. Go (laughs) So she she starts talking about, she's like counted the number of swear words she's used. Right. She has a running total. But the the kicker for me is when she she asks him if the word douchebag is a curse. (laughs) Yeah, like she tells him that she's sworn like 132 times or something, and then she's like, "Is douchebag a curse?" And he's like, "Well, it would depend on the context." It was like, "Okay, well, how about you know, Johnny, you're a douchebag for kissing Laura." He's like, "Yeah, that's a curse." It's like, "Okay, well, then it's actually like 178." Yeah, like it was some absurd joke. It's like 50 times higher. It was that was really funny. Um, We kind of cut off around that, but. I did not enjoy the line this time where he comes back to the kids and is like, I don't want any of you hanging around with Tracy, Tracy Abernathy by yourself. Yeah. She didn't say anything, at least that we heard that was like, like she's a no, fucking that's, teenager. That's true. She's yeah. <laughs> I think that was more, I, I, my sense of that was more that that was for his benefit. Like he doesn't want to run into her again because he doesn't want to deal but with it. But why would the tiny but... children be hanging out with her anyway? I don't know. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, yeah, that's, I, I mean, I guess maybe Meryl knew her. Maybe. She seemed know. a little young for him, but maybe not. Yeah. Not, I don't know how old he is. So, but, but, so Mel Gibson is being confessed to by Tracy <laughs> Abernathy. Uh, right. Joaquin Phoenix goes into a military. Uh, right. Uh, a recruitment uh, office recruitment. where we have a bizarre character. Yes. In the, the, the sergeant behind the recruiting desk who is like, he's giving us like the, the commander in uh, Doctor Strangelove. <laughs> he's he's in like a completely different movie. It's very strange. I think it's supposed to be a comic character, but it's real weird. He's it is. he's playing a really weird register that I don't think really. 
really works that well. And, and, you know, it's supposed to be weird. Like, Walking Phoenix is like, yeah, can I, like, read a pamphlet or something so I don't have to talk to you anymore? Because right. you weirded me out. And like, but through this scene, we find out that Joaquin Phoenix was a minor league baseball player. Right, um, get his backstory here. He'd been he been had like a really impressive home run record, like the best home right. run he record. Had, he, he had five home run records from the minor leagues, is what but he told. Also, him. Yeah. <laughs> the the most strikeouts by like a lot because oh, every right. time the ball came, he just swung as hard as he could. Well, here, and we meet key point here. We meet. Lionel Pritchard, right. who is one of the guys that Gibson had thought was vandalizing their crops. He's in here signing up for the army. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and he is played by Michael Showalter, who I I did not remember at all that that was him in that role. It's kind of, I don't know how, I'm curious how he ended up in there. But uh, he's the uh, actor, director, who he directed The Big Sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wrote Wet Hot American Summer, and I think is also in it. Um He's, you know, he's done he's a search lot. Party. He's, yeah, he shows up in a lot of, a lot of places. But I had not remembered that that was him there, and I don't know how that happened. But <laughs> he's the one giving the exposition that you know Meryl is Meryl is a screw up. Like, right. <laughs> and Meryl has like a line that's like it just felt wrong not to swing. Which, right. dude, that makes you a bad baseball player. But well, uh, it does. But also, we're again tying character quirks into theme. Right. <laughs> so, all of this will come back around. Sure fucking will. Um, <laughs> so whatever. They have pizza. And while they're having pizza. Um, oh, and uh, Morgan and Bo buy. Uh, Morgan goes and asks if they have any books on aliens and buys this like sort of bananas, like dumbass conspiracy book about what happens if aliens invade, which ends up weirdly being correct. In like yeah, but it was like it was all like super generic stuff. It was like either they'll be friendly or they'll be hostile. Yeah. <laughs> if they're hostile, either they'll win or they'll lose. Like that was, that was the whole like it wasn't really. The, I mean, it wasn't right about everything. It was like they'll probably be like four feet tall, which was not the case. And That's true. Like you know, there's but. Um, oh, that that was where we had the line from because Bo didn't recognize. She didn't have any idea who the guy was. They saw Ray and the guy. Right, that's what it was. Yeah, that's right. Because so yeah, the guy gets gets out of the car and Morgan says, "Is that him?" Right. And Graham says, "Yes." And they just stare and he sees them and like freezes and then gets back in the car and pulls away. And Bo is like, "Who's that?" And at this point, we don't know because we right. haven't. There's there's this sort of gradually uh, unfolding flashback that I don't think we've even seen the first part of yet at that. That point ongoing um, ever more horrifying. Of, of what happened <laughs> right of what happened to, to his wife yeah i think it's it's probably shortly after that that we see the first part of it i don't remember for sure yeah i'm not gonna but, be able to remember enough where it fit in to, to... i remember where the last bit came in but, well yes yeah <laughs> i don't remember the the rest of it but so they go home oh and well um well morgan was talking to uh, to um cherry uh, she like he was playing with her walkie-talkie, and he really liked the walkie-talkie. And she was like, "Do you have a baby monitor of Bose?" Which again, I like Abigail. I guess would have been like five, but I think she's supposed to be only three or four in this. Like she's so little, mm-hmm. and uh, and he has picked up a baby monitor to use as a walkie-talkie because he was sort of enamored of mm-hmm. um, Officer Paskey's walkie-talkie. And so when they get home, the baby monitor starts making weird noises. And they're just like, it's just, like, it's static. 
It's no big deal. And Joaquin Phoenix has a whole jock rant about how this whole thing is just a bunch of nerds who can't get girlfriends and they want everyone else to get obsessed with this crazy nerd shit like them. Yes. It's a weird, it's a weird set of things. Um, and, uh, and at some point, Bo very quietly asks, why can't they get girlfriends? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no one responds. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, and he like grabs the um, he like grabs the walkie-talkie and picks it, and the, like the higher it goes, the more they can hear something. Right. It's kind of it's it's mostly just static, but there's like some like sort of clicking noises in there that that Morgan is convinced is two different yes, beings Morgan, talking like, to each other. Yes, Morgan like up on top of the car and is like holding the thing up, and he's like, "There's two of them talking to each other," and I'm like, "You're taking a lot from this kid, but whatever." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But... And I mean, you know, there's some stuff Morgan. It gets obsessed with reading the book. There's a point where Mel Gibson walks in on them both with tinfoil hats on their heads. Mm-hmm. And Morgan. So the aliens can't read our minds. Read our minds. Yeah. <laughs> um, for a while, they keep the TV turned off um, because Graham is just like, well, you know. At some point in here, the, the we actually get a bunch of alien ships appear over right. cities around the world. I don't remember when that happens exactly, uh, but there's like dozens of aliens of lights that appear over major cities. I think Mexico City. Yeah, I think Mexico City was the first one before, and then later they showed up over others. But that night, um, the kids fall asleep in their lap. That's when they have the argument about how to record this. Um, And the kids fall asleep in the laps of Meryl and Graham, and Meryl and Graham have this discussion. They have an argument about the themes of the movie. Yes. (laughs) Again, again, watching it now, it's like, you know, it's still, I think it's a pretty decently well-written exchange, and it's very well performed by both of them, but it is very ham-fisted. It is. Um, (laughs) Essentially, like, you know, Joaquin Phoenix is basically like, you know, people probably think the world is ending, some people probably think the world is ending, and Graham's like, yep. And he's like, do you? He's like, maybe. It's like, yeah. can't you just be like you used to be and say something comforting? <laughs> like, right. And yeah. so Mel Gibson thinks for a second and he says some people, essentially he says some people see the world when something good happens or whatever. They are just like, you know, some people are just lucky and they don't feel like there's any purpose to it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people feel like there is a greater design or plan behind this and for the people who feel like they're like people just get lucky like there's no purpose they're looking at this right now and they're feeling like you know 50 50 could be good could be bad but no matter what happens they're going to be alone in dealing with that Mm -hmm. whereas the people who don't believe that feel that you know whatever happens is essentially like part of a plan or something right there's someone watching out for them right um and they, believe, the, they believe in signs and miracles versus yes. believing it. And so then he asks, he asks Meryl if he is a person who believes in signs and miracles or if he is a person who believes right. in coincidence. <laughs> and Meryl has a great story. <laughs> Meryl is young, right? Having, like he's supposed to be like 20. Been, well, I mean, he's he's old enough to have spent enough time in the minor leagues that he had five records. So, I mean, you know, he must have been playing for at least a few years but if he went right out of high school, you know, he could be he I, I think he's still supposed to be early 20s. Yeah, he, he feels early 20s. Um, yeah. Also, when the aliens show up over the over the city, Meryl says the nerds were right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so he tells this story about being at a party with this very hot girl and how he was sitting on a couch with her and he was going to go in to kiss her. But then he realized he had gum in his mouth. So he had to turn around and take it out. And while he was doing that, she threw up. 
Right. And, you know, if he hadn't had to take the gum out, she would have thrown up in his mouth and that would have, like, scarred him for life. So he definitely he may never have recovered. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he asks Graham, like, which one are you? And Graham's like, do you feel better? He's like, yeah, I do. He's like, well, then what difference does it make? And then he <laughs> proceeds to keep talking. Yeah. I th- yeah. I think I think Meryl was going to let it go. But yeah. He, uh... <laughs> and he's like, do you did I ever tell you what the last thing that Laura said to me was and he's like no and he says she said swing away Meryl or something like that and he's like and do you know why that was and he says no it's he's like it's because some synapses in her brain were firing and she was dying and some image of us at one of your baseball games came to mind no one is watching out for us right um which it's funny watching this now because I'm like like I actually agree with that I think that's exactly <laughs> That's exactly what happened. It's honestly not the worst thing for what is a truly fucking horrific way to right. die. Um, honestly, yeah, she. That's a pretty nice note to go out yeah, on. Yeah, that, to what that honestly, <laughs> like, yeah, that honestly doesn't seem terrible. And yeah. yeah, I don't think anyone is watching out for us. That doesn't make me feel the depths of alone. That is right. implied uh, this in is, this movie. Yeah, this is you know the, when I when I saw this movie as a kid, I I felt. I was very much in agreement with the sort of exactly the worldview that this movie laid out and the dichotomy of humanity and beliefs that the world laid out. And now I'm like, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> like, this is this is the most juvenile like <laughs> philosophy 101 bullshit I've ever seen. Also, I spent the entire first almost three decades of my life with Christians, and I got to tell you, man, I don't think. That I honestly don't think that more like that many of those motherfuckers actually believe that they are not alone when mm-hmm. the chips are down. Like I never yeah. saw any side of that, <laughs> and I definitely didn't. Like that's not how I felt, mm-hmm. even though I believed it theoretically. But it didn't feel that way. I did not have right. this this deep sense of things will be okay that he's describing. No, definitely not. <laughs> but when I would have watched this when I was young, I just figured that was that was my fault. I was, you know, not believing or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so yes, they, they have this discussion about the themes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and at some point, Meryl, like, like Graham's like, we're not going to watch TV anymore. People can get obsessed. We don't know what's, you know, whatever. And, Graham, and like Meryl, like, drags the TV into the closet and is sitting there. Like, nice. <laughs> obsessing and freaking out and there is the scene that Meryl's watching in the closet which is still the scene I probably remember best from the movie of the first time the aliens are caught on tape right at a kid's birthday party (laughs) in fact we had this conversation recently and I now can't remember what it was about some movie that we'd watched a lot as a kid that had a line from it that you'd like still, Oh, it was, it, I know what, cause I just, it was Sergeant just listened to our, yeah, I just listened to our episode about leap of faith and we were talking about Steve Martin and you had the line. That scene has a line like that for me. I, I haven't, I haven't said it in a while now. Cause I feel like I haven't had the opportunity, but his, uh, move children. Vominos. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I, there was a period of my life where I said that basically every time I saw a child. Uh, <laughs> it's a really good line, and it's really funny. Like he's trying to, he's trying to like see this video, and the kids are in front of the camera. Yeah, they're on the t- they're on the TV. They can't hear him, but he still tries speaking to them in Spanish. 
It's really, it is really funny. And then when he sees the alien, which is very scary, let's be clear. Like, there are still some moments in this movie, a couple, that still made me feel a little bit of, ooh. This, this, this movie does, it does the Jaws thing where it, yep. like, it only shows you little, little glimpses and it does it very effectively. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a scene earlier on that we didn't mention where Mel Gibson goes out into the cornfield at night and encounters one of these things. Is that before this? Maybe. I think it would have been before this at this point. That was uh, also, he hears something. He goes out at night. He's in the cornfield. Well, it's a dog barking because they still have they had two dogs and one of them is still he's got it tied up outside because he's afraid it'll hurt someone after what the first one did. And it's going nuts and keeps barking. And so he goes out into the cornfield to investigate. And he can tell something else is out there. He keeps hearing something. But again, it's a cornfield, right? Like it could be nothing. And he drops his flashlight and he picks it up at some point and is shining it for it. And there's just a leg. It's that classic movie thing where the flashlight goes out when he drops it and he picks it up and bangs on it and it comes back on. Yeah. And it's just like a leg that slithers back out of the and it's very yeah. creepy. It's yeah, super it's fucking creepy. Yeah. It's a weird like sort of silvery gray kind of it looks it looks almost slimy or something yeah. like reptilian kind of thing and yeah. it's Yeah, it's it's pretty well done. Yeah, no, it is. Um and so then we see this alien like run across this like it's a birthday party, it like runs across an alley. And you mm-hmm. see it. which again, they're like humanoid, they're very tall, they're yeah. Um, you know. Uh, so, ah, oh, yes. Based on the order of my notes, it appears that the leg in the corn, and then there's the argument about we have to tape this, <laughs> and then do you believe right. the signs yeah. of miracles, or do you believe that people just get lucky? So, I don't know. At some point, the f- the phone rings, and he knows. How does he know it's Ray? That's a good question. I don't know if that's just he just had a hunch, you know. Because he doesn't say anything. Yeah, you know, he picks up a phone and and the, it's, there's just silence on the other end. But he just he's pretty sure that it was Ray, and I'm not really sure why. Yeah. So then he goes out. He gets to Ray's house. Ray is in the car, sitting there. Um, and by this point, we have seen the flashback, or either either that or we see it right before this, where um, he first. Well, I think, I think we see it in three parts, and I think we've seen the first part by then. Yeah, the part that you're talking about. Yeah, he arrives at the scene, and Officer Paskey is like, you know, look, we've we we've called you. She's, um, you know, she he's like, you know, she's like he asked if Ray was okay, and she's like, that's the first thing that she said too. And mm-hmm. she's like, okay, she's talking, and she has to try to explain to him that Ray fell asleep at the wheel and just happened to like back fucking country road, and she was going for a walk. And he falls asleep at the wheel at the exact right time where he hits her and pins her against a tree with his car. Right. His, yeah, his, he hits her and then hits a tree and she's... And effectively yeah. cuts her in half. Right. But she's still alive because the car is sort of holding her together. Yeah. Um, the movie it's, does make a point is, of... It is gruesome. It is gruesome. Yeah. It is I mean, gruesome. You, don't, you don't see anything gruesome, but it's a gruesome concept, yeah. <laughs> yes, and that, you know, that she um, she doesn't seem to be in any pain, mm-hmm. um, but and she's still talking, but they didn't move the car because they wanted him to have a chance mm-hmm. to say goodbye. So he sees Ray, and he goes to the car, and Ray tells him, like, look, you know, I had your, I had your phone number up on the wall for the last six months. And I've never called it. And then he has this little speech about how he's like, look, I've never fallen asleep in the car. I've never done it before. I've never done it since. And if I had fallen asleep anywhere else. Right. I didn't see another car. Not the another whole car. Rest Nothing. Drive. If yeah. I had fallen asleep anything but in those like 10 seconds, I would have just ended up in the ditch with a headache. Yeah. Everything would have been fine. But I didn't. 
It was like it was meant to be. It was like it was meant to be, which is a fucking yeah. horrifying thing to say. Right. But um, that is, again, the, the central theme of the movie. There are no coincidences. <laughs> even though nothing was gained from her. Anyway. And he tells me he's going to a house by the lake. It seems like they're not showing up near water. Um, he figures he's just gonna he's just gonna go there. By the way, don't go into my pantry. I've locked one of them in there. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, he said earlier, you know, he he'd mentioned that he had the phone number written down, and that when he realized one of them was in the house, he panicked and he just dialed the first number he right. saw. That was why he'd called him. Yeah. And then you know he hung up because he realized who he'd called. So he drives off. And Mel Gibson goes into the house to see what's in the pantry. In what is a very effective scene, mm-hmm. um, particularly a Shyamalan. I don't know if this is like as much of a talked about thing now, but for a while, he w- he really did love a fucking reflection shot. That was like, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, it's a signature for him. Yeah. Um, and so there's a there, and this is a pretty good one. It's it's him trying yeah. to, to look under the pantry door with right. a shiny butcher knife. <laughs> Right. Which is, like, pretty clever. Um, anyway, at some point, the alien's hands, like, reach out, and he, like, chops off the tips of his fingers. He has a whole bit first where he pretends to be a cop. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he assumes, like, he's hoping that it's just a person locked in there. <laughs> he pretends, he's like, the police are here, and I'm with them. I mean, I am a police officer. <laughs> we've already got your friends, and we've put them in the paddy wagon, and then he stops his, like, paddy wagon. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty funny. He's, yeah. Yeah, no, it is. And then, whatever, he cuts off the alien's fingers, he goes scrambling out of the room. Right, the ha- the alien reaches under the pantry door to grab him, and he cuts off a few of its fingers and goes runs. Off, I guess. Um, right. And the kids are hanging out with Meryl in the closet. Uh, right, he gets home. No, no, they're sitting out on the couch. He gets home, and they're all three sitting on the couch with the tinfoil hats on. <laughs> but there is a scene with them in the closet, and I thought it was while he was gone, where they're in the closet, because it's the scene where where Morgan is really scared and says, like, you know, you're not going to let anything happen to us, are you, Uncle Meryl? And he says, no, of course not, I would never. And Morgan says, I wish you were my dad. Yeah. Um, Which is... Yeah. Like, you get it. Like, obviously, yeah. Graham has not been able to be present. Right. He, Graham has basically disappeared from their lives. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in like a uh, any kind of like emotional sense. Yeah. And yeah. Meryl looks at him as like, don't you ever say that? Like, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's just it's just a sad line. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and so basically, like, you know, by this point, we know that there are more aliens that shit's going down um and uh graham is like look we have the option we can go to the water i heard somewhere that they might not like water and morgan is like that <laughs> sounds <laughs> fake it sounds that's made up or we can or we can stay here and hunger down and and he <laughs> he does a vote which i actually appreciate um and Bo is on his side at first and then Morgan is like the, and then Meryl and Morgan are like, no, let's stay here. And he's like, my vote counts as two because I'm two parents, right? Uh, which is a cheap <laughs> trick for a grown up to play. Um, yeah, but on the other hand, you know, it was two to two. You got to bring. And uh, but then Bo says she changed her vote. She wants to hear after Morgan says, you know, I don't want to leave. This is where we lived with mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so they decide that they're gonna they're gonna lock down the house, um, and you know they're like, we have to get something to eat, and. 
but I can't. Remember. I think Bo was the first one who said she wanted something um, spaghetti. Spaghetti, and Meryl's like, "No, we're just yeah. gonna eat quick." And Grandma's like, "Nope, spaghetti sounds great." Right. W- what do you want? And Morgan, everyone can have what they want. Everyone yeah. can have what they want. Morgan has French toast and mashed potatoes. Right. Uh, Meryl wants uh, teriyaki. Teriyaki chicken. That's right. And yeah. Grandma wants a bacon cheeseburger. Yeah. Um, and so they make this this big meal, and they're sitting at the table, but none of them can eat because they're so scared. And grandma right. sort of like the, a meltdown. The 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 traumatic family dinner scene is uh, is sort of a, a classic of the like family horror genre. Yeah. <laughs> this is this is a pretty decent example of it, I think. But it's also when watching it this time, I think like it really cannot be overstated how fucking like shut the fuck down Graham is for like most of the movie, mm-hmm. and it's like this point where he starts like having feelings again like visible feelings right like yeah like he has kind of a flat tone for most of the movie but he, he definitely he, he cracks here in a way that we have well seen. and even before that when he first has the food thing he's like smiling in like a warm way right. that we haven't seen and then he like he like he starts yelling at them both starts crying he's like if no one's gonna eat then i'm gonna you know have some of everything and then he starts crying oh because rory right. or uh, morgan says he wants they should pray and he's like i'm not wasting another right of my life on prayer yeah. Which I think is extremely valid, but whatever. And then Morgan tells me he hates him. Morgan tells me he hates him. And there's this whole... That's fine. And there's this whole... Basically, everyone ends up crying and, like, hugging yeah. and whatever. And so then they're locking down the house. And they have the scene that still makes me cry, um, where Mel Gibson, who, again, has just has a completely different affect than he has had for their... It is a, it is a good performance. Um, yeah. yeah. You know, says, Bo, do you know what happened? Did I ever tell you about the day you were born? Um, and he tells her this story about her coming out into the world and her eyes were wide open and she didn't even cry and all the nurses gasped. She was so beautiful. And they were cleaning her up and he was looking at her and she smiled at him. Babies that little aren't supposed to be able to smile, but she did. Um, and then they go downstairs and Morgan is getting more and more scared and he like kneels down in front of Morgan and is like, let me, you know, tell me, let me tell you what happened when you were born and that, you know, your mama was bleeding and they rushed you away really quick. And then I wanted her to be the first to see you because she'd been dreaming about you. She'd been dreaming about me for so long and they put her, they put you in her arms and you looked at each other and she said, hello, Morgan, you look just like I dreamed. Um, and it's a very, it's, it's saccharine, but it's sweet and it's well delivered. Mm-hmm. And, and it's that thing of like, he's there, right? Like he's mm-hmm. like, my kids are scared and I'm going, you know, I am going to be present for them in this moment in a way that I haven't been able to be. And unfortunately they forget to take the dog in. The dog is then murdered by the aliens. Yeah. The dogs in this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whatever. The aliens get into the house eventually. Um, and they end up down in like the coal cellar. And, uh, that, and that, I mean, that whole scene is very well, like the, 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 the way that whole thing is shot is very intense, very well done. Mel Gibson's mm-hmm. trying to hold the door shut while they're trying to force it open. And Joaquin Phoenix is frantically looking for something to jam the door with. And eventually he finds a pickaxe on the top shelf, but when he grabs it, he breaks the light bulb on the ceiling. And so everything goes dark and we've got like 15 seconds of just this frantic scrambling yep. and, 
it's it's very well done. It's very well done and very low budget, which is something I recognize now that I didn't then. Of like, which is true with most of the alien stuff, not in a bad way. It just it's just clear that he didn't have it. Yeah, I I just want to like a lot. I think this is one of those movies where like a lot of the most effective elements of it are because they were having to work around a low budget. Like like we're talking about the 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 Jaws thing with aliens. Like I'm sure you know if he had a hundred million dollar budget the he probably would have showed them a lot more and it would have been a lot less effective. (laughs) Absolutely. And they realize at some point this is a coal basement. There's a coal chute somewhere. And so they're looking around and Morgan is standing against a wall and they like put the flashlight up on him and there's the coal chute right behind him. And we see this hand reach out and like grab his throat, which is absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, And they manage to get him back, but then he starts having an asthma attack. And they Um, don't have his medicine. And they don't have his medicine. um, They forgot to grab that on the way down. Mel Gibson does another very effective scene Mm -hmm. of like breathing with Morgan and, you know, begging God to not do this to him again. And he ends up okay. I mean, he's sleeping. He's not, he stopped having the attack, but he still, he still needs his medicine. Right. And it's morning. Joaquin Phoenix turns on a radio, um, says they're leaving. Apparently something was discovered that worked. We don't hear what yet. I believe at one point they call it a primitive solution in India. Yeah, it said very no, it said very specifically that there were three small cities in the Middle East that had discovered a primitive method oh, that's to right. defeat them. Which I feel like must be like that ha- that's so specific. It must be like a rep- like I almost wonder if it's like some sort of biblical reference that I'm not getting like Maybe. I don't know. There must be something specific there, I think, cuz I don't know. I don't have any guesses, but that it seemed very it was so specific that it seemed like it had to be something And they said that um, that the aliens secreted some kind of poison gas, like small amounts of it. A lot of people have died, but they all seem to be leaving. And there's just like a few injured ones left around. But like they have to get Morgan's medicine. Um, So they decide they're going to chance it. So they come out. Everything seems, you know, okay. Morgan is conscious and they're grabbing his EpiPen and and all of that to get him. okay. and, uh, you know, um, Graham asks if he wants to watch TV, and he says yes. Um, he's like, so he goes to take it out of the closet, and when he pushes the TV around the corner. We see the alien. Um, right, we get that. We get another reflection shot. We, yeah, we see the alien in the reflection on the TV, holding Morgan. Right. Um, with his like, and we we get like a shot a little bit closer to him where we see that his his wrist is up against his face or whatever and poison gas. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> well, and we also see that it's the same alien that whose fingers Gibson had cut off. Right. Yeah. So, which, you know, he's mad. <laughs> well, and it is specifically mentioned on the, the radio thing that they had left a bunch of their wounded behind. Uh, so presumably that's why this one was still there. And this is when he has his final flashback where he, where we see him actually talking to his wife. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just truly is the most horrifying. it's so fucking awful um and you know she says you know tell morgan it's okay to play it's okay to you know be silly silly. yeah um tell Bo to stick with her brother because he's always going to take care of her which i personally think is a little bit he is always going to take care of her but there's an element of putting responsibility on this small child here that goes a little yeah it's fine yeah well Um, she was dying she was was dying horribly she she had rehearsed it It (laughs) um and then she says until graham and then she like, which is heartbreaking. She like, clearly doesn't realize he's there. She's fading. Mm-hmm. Tell Meryl to swing away. She says, "Tell Graham to see." To see, and Meryl. Says, that was yeah. And he, and then he he looks at, and Joaquin Phoenix has the baseball bat from his 
many from his record up on the wall. We've clarified that earlier. So he looks at Merrill and he says, swing away, Merrill. And Merrill grabs the baseball bat and wails on the thing. But also water falls on him because of all the glasses of water. <laughs> right. He knocks it over and it bumps a piece of furniture and a glass of water spills on it and it burns it. Like it burns his skin. Right. And so then he starts hitting all the glasses of water at him. And Mel, meanwhile, Mel Gibson grabs Morgan and goes running out of the house, shoves the EpiPen in his leg and sits there being like, your lungs were closed. Your lungs were closed. You didn't get in, you know, et cetera. None of the poison got None in. None of the poison yeah. got in. None of the po- that, that's why. That's the reason. That has to be the reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, there, you know, there's a whole scene of Joaquin Phoenix beating the shit out of this alien. And <laughs> a glass of water falls on its face. And I guess we presume that's. That's the that end of that. finishes it off, yeah. Um, and so he comes running outside, and Morgan does wake up. Um, so I guess that that was the reason. And <laughs> and uh, that's that's we see we see like six months later, and he's back in his collar and has has returned to the Lord. I guess even though at no point in this movie was there any meaningful reason that I could tell why God would kill your wife in such a fucking horrifying <laughs> way. But well, sure. Right. Whatever. So this is, this is the thing we have to get. Uh, what this movie proposes <laughs> is that his, his child was born with a debilitating illness mm-hmm. and his wife died in this horrifyingly gruesome way because that was how God decided to to like look out for them as a family, Uh which is, it's, it's just, it's it's almost, it's almost infantile logic. Like (laughs) it's the sort of thing that I get that people like people do this, right? Like people do it after tragedies happen in general. And it's one mm-hmm. of those things where if people believe in God, I feel like you hear that part of it and you're like, right. well, that sounds nice. But like, look, if you're, you know, if you're a lone survivor or one of a few survivors from an entire building that burned down, for example, and you say, God saved me, that's a fucking insane, awful thing to say. Right. Uh, <laughs> like, but the people who believe in God hear that and they're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. And don't go. But wait a minute. (laughs) Why? I mean, not all people, obviously, but like if if you are a person who believes that there is no such thing as coincidence, which there are a lot of those people, religious and otherwise. Yeah. uh, You have to come up with some other explanation. Right. Right. So (laughs) the, the idea that his wife had to die. Like just that. so that just so that he could tell Meryl, hey, grab that weapon there <laughs> to attack the alien with. Like, <laughs> and, you know, I feel obviously there are like it's also, you know, you could even within the context of the movie, you could interpret that as Gibson's interpretation of what had happened. There was also true. For sure. Right. And and also I, I feel no one suggested this, but I feel like, you know, she was like trying to give everyone a last message. The guy who's had he he had played baseball and wanted to be a star and he just swung as hard as he could at everything because that was how he was as a person i feel like that that's actually like a pretty nice like you know parting piece of advice to give to this guy no it's no one mentions that as like it could have just been a straightforward like this was she wanted to tell him like it's okay to live your life this way as a person who goes all in for things and like i feel like that's actually like a really nice farewell message for her to have given him. (laughs) That's true. That's a very kind interpretation of what she said. Yeah. But no, it's so that he, it's so that he can be told to, to, to use the club to attack the alien. And like, no 
like when people talk shit about signs, they can just consistently talk shit about how stupid it is that the aliens would come to a planet that is like 80 percent water if they're, right. you know, deathly allergic to water. Right. Of the, course that's it, like, stupid. They, they haven't landed anywhere near water. Like, OK, that's obviously not true. <laughs> there, there are so few places right. on Earth that are not near water. Right. Although I guess that means well, they probably weren't hovering over Seattle, huh? Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's because and the, the, he even he even references this Merrill's character when they first see the aliens appear on TV he says it's like War of the Worlds right and I don't know if you have you you've probably at least seen the Spielberg movie of War of the Worlds I don't know if you remember I've uh, both the seen un- the screenplay and read the book okay I've never read the book but the undoing of the aliens in War of the Worlds turns out to be that they're not capable of dealing with germs. Right. Like they had, they had not encountered microscopic life forms in wherever they evolved and they weren't aware of it and they got wiped out by disease after a few days. Mm-hmm. And I, which is, you know, that I feel like that's a little better than being allergic to water, but it's still like, a, like really they hadn't sent any scouts or anything to figure whatever. But I feel like Shyamalan was like, well, H.G. Wells got away with it. And that's a classic. So I'm just going <laughs> to I'm just going to do that same thing, basically. And I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm just saying people talk shit about this movie all the time for that reason. And I honestly just don't care about the water thing. Yeah. I don't care. I think <laughs> that the ending apparent message about God watching it now is much more oh, horrifying. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> people should talk shit about that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, whatever. Overall, there's no doubt the performances are very good. The, it works better than it has a right to. It, it's it's still a good movie. I think I lowered it from a 4.5 to a 4. I lowered it from a, I guess, yeah, okay, I guess a 4.5 to a 3.5. So yeah. from a 9 to a 7, I think was what I, but it does, it still has, you know, so like there's, there was one moment when in the the final flashback when he goes to talk to his wife for the last time, she starts off telling him like, you know, I I decided to go for a walk before dinner. And he's like, he goes, you love walks. You love walks. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I decided to let that go because I was like, what? A, who the fuck knows what weird ass shit you would say I, in a situation I know, like but that? Like, at any rate, there's there the the cracks in his writing were already on display by the time this movie came out. Uh, no, I think that's true. And, and it, that was not something that I was conscious of last time I watched it. But watching it now, it's it is not nearly as egregious as it is in his more recent work, but it's there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, there's. <sighs> I mean, you know. It's a totally competent movie, and I still have, like, a fond spot, a soft spot for it uh, from when I was a kid. And I feel like exactly what I thought might happen happened, which was that I watched it and was like, oh, this all lands really differently now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That I do not believe in this horrific view of, <laughs> mm-hmm. of the world anymore. And, like, that's fine. It's fine. But it does. It's 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 fine. Yeah. Just means that we've grown up and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I I don't you know, I don't know what I don't know what Shyamalan's beliefs are like. It seems like he is probably some shade of Christian. Right. Uh, or at least was. I, I don't know if that's mm-hmm. still the case. But the just the, the the whole like the basic con any 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 time the theme of your movie starts with there are two kinds of people <laughs> you you've already like 
Come on. <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna base your whole thing on a dichotomy that simplistic. I do uh, think that Shyamalan's like Shyamalan's writing struggles in a lot of ways, but I also think that some of it is that he does seem to be a very like at least his stories tend to be like very simplistic. Like they're fairy mm-hmm. they're fairy tales. They're fa- I mean they're not they're they're not like particularly deep or complicated. They're like yeah. they're like a thing you like, you know, they're the the exact right thing to like when you're 18. I probably would have liked Split a lot more at 18 too. Like yeah. it just seems like he hasn't like progressed that far. <laughs> past that. Yeah. I I, I think there w- I think there was more to the sixth sense. Uh, yeah, the sixth sense obviously had a lot of the like afterlife themes and like the important I, I guess sort of moral themes about you know what you do in your life mattering and you know right there, there's there's some of the same kind of things but but Split is still dealing with these ideas even though I think he does it terribly um, but like Split is still dealing with these ideas of like. Does what happens he like? Does what happened to you change you in a meaningful way that makes you more right. of a survivor? Does it? And I think that where he seems to have come down on that, based on Split and also somewhat on After Earth, which he did co-write the screenplay for, is is kind of a horrific way to look at trauma, uh, mm-hmm. and feels at best like misguided and sort of privileged, and at worst worse than that. But I still feel like he's functionally playing with the same toys. He's just. <laughs> Right. And and he also, particularly in his more recent stuff, but really, I mean, going back to maybe maybe it's not fair to say particularly in his more recent stuff. Maybe it goes back to the beginning. He has a problem with with writing his villains as mentally ill people. Absolutely. Uh, correct. As a, that's a major issue. And yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, that I'll, I'll, certainly with Unbreakable, that was the thing. And you could even say in The Sixth Sense with. Uh, Donnie Wahlberg's character which calling is, him a villain, I think would be, I, I think yeah. I don't think be quite accurate, but which I mean, which is a problem that many directors have, including directors. I really love yeah. like Ari Aster, who has an unfortunate habit of portraying mental illness and disability in a way that I think is really unfortunate and is usually seemed to meant to sort of add to the horror rather than have them be people. But I, I, I think, I think there's something more complicated going on with Ari Aster, but that, that's a different conversation. But I think maybe this is, I don't know, maybe this is unfair of me, but in Shyamalan's case, it feels like lazy writing. Well, I mean, yeah, uh, I think that it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a shortcut. Yes. It's not, he's not saying anything about mental illness. I would argue that the opening trauma tragedy in, um, in Midsummer is a fucking lazy writing shortcut. It's just not a thing. It just really fucking almost never happens. It's not, it's, um, I, 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 I disagree, but that's, okay, well. yeah, that's, that's a whole other anyway, conversation. Anyway, whatever. I, I think, I, I think we've, we've probably talked ourselves. We, we have been talking for a long time about this movie. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to throw in there before we move on? Um, well, I don't know. There was there was one kind of brief thread in the movie that I felt like didn't go anywhere that we didn't talk about where like Bo had this bad feeling. Oh about yeah, how things and she were going, had and she had this thing where she tells Morgan that she she tells Morgan's like I don't want you to die. Well, and, like, and when he's what? When he's, die. Yeah, that was that was partly funny just because kids really do say creepy shit like that. But right. um, but and, and then and it, we see at the end that she had dreamed him having this asthma attack and like. Well, and at the very beginning in the creepy scene with him in the cornfield, she asks her dad if he's part of her dream, too. So she's having some. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's right. having yeah. some kind of something 
that maybe she thinks she's she thinks she's dreaming the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I and, and 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 Morgan takes this conversation with her with her as a sign that things are real, that like Bo had a bad feeling right. as if this is like a thing that has been. It felt like there was backstory there that it didn't get into. That's true. That's true. Like maybe maybe something similar had happened before their mom died or something. Mm, I, yeah. I wonder if there was maybe a deleted scene in there or something that would have explained that. But I could see that. Yeah. Anyway, that, that's that's the last thing that comes to mind that we didn't we didn't really talk about. All right. Well, I think we've thoroughly covered science. <laughs> I think so. Okay. Well, what are we gonna watch next, Joel? Okay, we're at 72, yeah. Let's see, what is number 43? Number 43, oh, is No Country for Old Men. Oh, great. Yeah. This is one I have watched more recently than 10 years ago. Yeah, it's it's been a few years for me, but yeah. I think I last watched it with Eric, so I'm excited. This is is literally one of my favorite movies. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I I can't imagine this one not holding up, honestly. I would feel like a shock. Yeah, that has definitely been a running theme in this show is us watching movies that we used to love and realizing, hey, this actually is kind of a pile of shit. But I, this I, can't, <laughs> I can't see that happening with No Country for Old Men. So. I agree. I agree. That's exciting. OK, cool. Yeah. We'll do that one then. All right. Well, let's wrap up. It's been a minute. What, what have you been watching? Yeah, it's been it's been over a month since we recorded. So. Mm. Um, but the same thing was true last time and it didn't take us nearly as long as I thought it would to, to get through, to get <laughs> through everything. So let's see here. Uh, let me go back to, what was the last one you did? Pleasantville. Um, okay. So, uh, I saw Black Widow. Me too. Right after that. And really liked it. Me too. Like, it is top tier Marvel for me, in spite of what everyone else seems to think. Nope, one hundred percent. One of the only Marvel <laughs> movies that has made me cry. Oh yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, it, it had a lot of like um, Jason Bourne DNA in there, which I was glad to see, uh, and a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of kind of James Bondish too, um, particularly with the you know obviously it it leans a little bigger with the finale right. as the Marvel movies seem to do. Um, although I, I still think. For a Marvel movie, it was fairly understated. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but, Florence Pugh is um, incredible. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Florence Pugh is always great. She's been great in everything for the last several years, and she's fantastic in this. I'm glad to see that she's apparently going to be, uh, uh, well, spoilers, I guess, but she's she's going to be okay. going to be back. <clears throat> um, and also the the whole opening segment is very much like uh did you ever watch that show the americans i still have never watched it though no. okay so i have still only watched the first two seasons of it uh it's it's one of those things where like i i fucking love the first two seasons and i've heard it kept up great and i need to go back and finish it but at this point i need to rewatch the first two seasons because it's been years right so like i just haven't gotten around to it but it had it had it basically the the family in this movie basically was the same thing as the family in the Americans like there's these yeah. Soviet sleeper agents that are yeah um, I thought it was fucking great and it was very much it's very much like it has a lot of things that I care about in terms of yeah. family trauma and the ideas of found family and all of these things and it really got to me it really worked for me in ways that Marvel movies almost never do <laughs> so. yeah uh, yeah same here and I I thought it was wisely kept mainly separate from the other Marvel movies. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, fucking t- 
Tony Stark doesn't show up anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a few references, a few, you know, they mention the other, some of the others. Are, and, and obviously it's, it is the character of Black Widow, but like, I feel like this script could almost have been a non-Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. No, I, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Which was definitely to its benefit. Yeah. Uh, I, I did find it very entertaining that Ray Winston, even when playing a Russian, like sort of mobster <laughs> oligarch villain guy, could not suppress his London accent. Uh, <laughs> he, he just that is like a it's like it's an essential part of his being. He just couldn't. <laughs> but uh, but overall, really good. I, I was going to go see it again, but I, I haven't gotten around to it. Mm. Um, uh, then uh, folks may remember with the last time May and I had watched the first X Men movie. Oh yeah. Uh, and we watched the second one, um, which still holds up really well. It is yeah. still, I think, one of the better uh, superhero movies overall. Brian Cox as the villain is great. I had I had kind of forgotten that it was him who was the we the Colonel. Brian Cox. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I had there was a few issues this time. Like he had, I don't know if you remember Brian Cox's character has this uh, this heavy uh, lady death strike played by Kelly who who uh, follows him around and then has a big fight with Wolverine yeah. um, and is just unceremoniously killed. Yep. In spite of the fact that she was not actually evil, she was under the control of this toxin stuff that that, that Brian yep. Cox's character. <laughs> that really bothered me this time. That it, I don't think that had ever really even occurred to me before, but that really bothered me this time. Like there's specifically a scene where she like starts to wake up and he has to give her more of this, this stuff that keeps her under control. Yep. But no one brings that up when she gets killed. Nope. <laughs> that was unfortunate, but I mean, Hugh Jackman gets a lot more to do as, as Wolverine is great. Ian McKellen gets a lot more to do, and he's obviously fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. I yeah. still like that one a lot. Yeah. Um, then I watched, you'll be pleased to hear, I watched Henry Gamble's birthday party. Yay! Yeah, they, I, I, again, last time I talked about, uh, um, what was it called? Wise Stephen Cohn's Wise Kids, right? They had... Mubi put up three of his movies, so I've been watching those. So that, I did that one. Um, I didn't like it quite as much as The Wise Kids. I think, I think, as I recall, you like it better. Um, I do. I think that I don't know. Maybe the maybe the social stuff lands differently for you. Yeah. I just well, felt like every note of it was exact. Like it was to the point where it was physically hard for me to watch sometimes. Like it, it felt. It does. Accurate. It's it's the same kind of like it's so it's so perfectly and accurately observe this this particular, like, very particular social milieu. Yes, what everyone's uh, saying, I mean, what everyone's not saying. With what right, saying. yeah, the, like, the different types of people <gasps> who would be there, and, like, yes. it, it's all just perfect. But I think it was just, the. I, I think the only reason why The Wise Kids landed more for me was because The Wise Kids was primarily set in and around a church, which is a very familiar setting for me, mm-hmm. whereas Henry Gamble's birthday party is almost entirely set at this kid's birthday party. And I didn't have friends as a kid, so I didn't go to birthday parties. So well, I definitely didn't go was, to any parties where people got to wear bikinis. I did ask him well, about that specifically when yeah. I got to chat with him, because I was like, was that okay? Where you were and he was like, yeah, it wasn't a big deal. And I was like, okay, so different, different. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At any rate, I mean, it's still, it's, it's, it was just 
fantastic it's so movie. Fucking uh, and <laughs> and uh, it, it opens with one of the kids from Stranger Things masturbating. So True. it has that going for it, too. Um, case that thing? What? <laughs> I, uh, I really want, like, the thing that I can't, and I think I put this in my Letterboxd review, I really want Stephen Cohn to make, like, an HBO show set at the Bible College that I went to. Oh, fuck. I feel like that would be, like, that would, that would, it would be my favorite show before I even actually aired, like. Just, like, set at any Bible College, really. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, I know you have Just a specific. That, that, did you tweet you just, that you know, at him? You should have tweeted that at him. I don't think I did, but uh, <laughs> in fact, I remember now. I actually I did put it in my letterbox review, and the guy, uh, Cole Doman, the guy who played Henry Gamble, liked it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he is on letterbox. At any rate, that's my. I'm famous now. Um, yeah. I'm so glad you liked it, though. It's it's you know it was he's it so was skilled. <laughs> yeah, I I hope that uh, we get a lot more things from him. Um, uh, I watched the new Nicolas Cage movie, Pig. Did you see Pig? I have not watched that yet, no. It's so good. So I hear. So good. Like, I had... The initial word about it was that this is John Wick, except it's a pig instead of a puppy, and it's yeah. Nicolas Cage instead of Keanu Reeves. That was the initial buzz around it. And then when it actually... When critics started seeing it and stuff, I started seeing a bunch of people saying, it's it's great, but it's not that. Don't go in expecting that. But it is really good. So I went into it thinking, like, okay, it's going to be, like, a much more low-key kind of revenge thriller kind of thing. Like, it's not going to be shootouts and all this stuff, but it's going to be, like, I still was expecting it to be kind of that. It is not that at all. Oh, okay. It's not a revenge thriller. <laughs> it okay. is a it is a drama about grief. <laughs> uh, well, all right, then. But it's, it's really good, and Nicolas Cage is great in it. Um, which, you know, that should not, that should not be a surprise to anybody who pays attention. Nicolas Cage is a great movie, a great movie star, a great actor, in spite of the fact that he has become a meme in certain circles. Not his fault. Um, it also has, uh, Alex Wolf, um, who played the oldest kid in Hereditary. Ah. Uh, Adam Arkin is in it, who's always great. Um, yeah, it's really good. I, I definitely recommend that one. Um, uh, watched the third Fear Street movie, Me too. which again covered the the first two in previous episodes here. Um, still, you know, I'm, I'm I I liked it. I'm apparently the director wants to do more. Is hoping to to build like a Marvel on board of like that. a Marvel verse style uh, Fear Street universe, and I'm I'm all for that. I'd, I I'd be into it. Loved the first one. I thought the second one was good, but not as good. And then I loved the third one so much that it retroactively made me like the first two more. Interesting. Um, so I, I am so on board for Lee Janiac's career and yeah. uh, just thrilled to see whatever she gets to do next. <laughs> I think the first one was probably my favorite, but... Oh, um, so it was just uh, so good to see a horror, movie, a horror franchise, no less, where I felt like it stuck the landing. It's just, it's yeah. just so rare. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was I was really into it. It's fun. It's mm -hmm. good good time. Yeah. Um uh so then I watched Princess Sid, which is Stephen Cohn's other movie that they had up on Mubi. Also excellent. Um Also excellent. Totally different setting. Yes. Uh less relatable to me, but um right. but great. Also great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh that 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 lead actress who from the like the the image that the like the header image, I thought this was maybe a um, an early role from 
Florence Pugh that I had somehow not heard about because she looks a lot like Florence <laughs> Pugh, but it is, it is not. It's a different actor named Jesse Pinnock who I haven't seen anything else. But uh, really good movie. Uh, then I saw Old. <laughs> so, um, Old is not a good movie. Uh, I can't remember if I told you this, but the thing that I've mentioned to people that is a non-spoilery way to talk about how bad the writing in this movie is. Okay. Uh, there's a character on the beach that makes you old, uh, who is a famous rapper <laughs> in the universe of the movie. Like I, I didn't recognize the guy who played him, but, um, okay. in fact, let me, uh, I should look that up real quick. Um, I have the, the letterboxed page right here. Uh, he's played by a game, guy named Aaron Pierre, who I guess is in that Underground Railroad series, which I've still only watched the first episode of and mm-hmm. a couple of other things. But at any rate, the stage name that this famous rapper uses. I just saw this. <laughs> and the name that he introduces himself by is Midsized Sedan. <laughs> Which is so clearly like it's like a it's like a bad dad joke. Yes, that's exactly what it's like. It is so clearly M Night Shyamalan's first draft attempt at a rapper's name, and just he's just like, yeah, that'll do. And no one ever was like, hey, you can't like seriously spend thirty seconds. Ask one of your kids. (laughs) I actually had a theory that maybe it was a joke that his kids had played on him. Like that, that he had asked one of his kids, like, "Hey, what's a good name for a rapper?" And they told him "Midsize Sedan," and then we're like laughing behind his back. <laughs> but that is honestly, that is uh, maybe this is a little harsh, but I think it's I I honestly think that's representative of the level of writing going on through most of this movie. All right, which is really unfortunate because there's a lot of really good actors in it. Yeah, uh, Gil Garcia Bernal in it. Vicky Crapes is in it. Uh, Rufus Sewell, who I've, I've loved Rufus Sewell since I saw A Knight's Tale when I was like 10 years old. Eliza Scanlon. Uh, Thomas and McKinney. Uh, yeah, there's uh, Ken Leung, who is usually really good and is just fucking terrible in this movie because he doesn't have a single line that a real human would say. Uh, it's very frustrating. Um, so, at any rate, I was not I was not a fan of of old. There was there there was one there's one scene towards the end of that movie that was like actually had like real emotional impact and it really landed and if they had ended the movie after that I would have come out of it feeling much more generous towards the whole movie even though I didn't like the rest of it. But then there's like 20 more minutes of movie uh. that was all terrible. <laughs> so. I did not have to be there. Like there were like four points in the last half hour of the movie where like if he had ended it there, it would have been much better. <laughs> but he just kept going and it just kept getting worse. Oh, so funny. frustrating. Um uh, I watched Steven Soderbergh's new movie No Sudden Move, which is on HBO, I believe. Yep. I uh, with Don Cheadle and Benicio del Toro. David Harbour is also in that one. He was in Black Widow. Mm-hmm. Um and it was it was pretty good. It was it was decent. It's a you know like a period crime drama thing. Yeah, Don Cheadle's really good. Yeah, and it is it's a really good cast. It, it was worth watching. Uh, I don't think it's one of Soderbergh's best or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's pretty good. Uh, I watched Jungle Cruise, which was not good. <laughs> a real dumb. <laughs> um, I was really hoping for like. I wasn't expecting it to be as good as Pirates of the Caribbean. The right. First one. But like I was something. hoping for like that kind of, Fun of thing. Really. I was hoping it would at least be as good as like the second Pirates of the Caribbean 
but it, it, it is not. It's okay. not. It's not good. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. I am. I'm like halfway through here. I gotta wait. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I watched a pretty cool. Um, I'm trying to remember what country it's from. Uh, it was another movie. Um, I always have to pronounce that B really hard on on the <laughs> the recordings to make sure it comes through. It's called I Am Not a Witch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was from. Oh, come on. Zambia. Zambia. That's where it was from. Uh, and it's about this apparently what is apparently a real thing in. According to Wikipedia, it's a real thing in Ghana, but the movie set in Zambia. I don't know uh, where the, there are actually like witch camps outside of of some like sort of rural villages uh, where they actually have women who have been accused of witchcraft or forced to live in these mm-hmm. uh, campments outside of the towns and like tourists come and look at them and stuff. Um, and it's about it, they're, it's mostly like older women, but it's about this young girl who shows up out of nowhere in a village and through some what seems to be just some bad luck is quickly accused of witchcraft. And uh, yeah, I remember kind of, I remember when it came out, I didn't see it, but it's kind of a satire. And there's like this this sort of like uh, small time politician who finds out about her and decides that he's going to use her as like a publicity thing and. Uh, there's, but it's pretty good. It's an interesting movie. Hmm. Um, and then let's see what was next here. Uh, oh, um, I, I, May and I watched Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, which I had never seen, but we were doing another food movie pairing and we made spaghetti <laughs> and that seemed like the most, uh, uh, I, I wasn't interested in this movie when it came out. Uh, but I I learned later that it was an early Phil Lord Chris Miller yeah. movie, uh, and I have really liked their output in the last few years. So, and it was fun. I liked it. Uh, yeah, I thought it's it was no funny. it's no Lego movie, but there's there's some fun creative stuff going on in there. Bill Hader is a good you know good voice performances and stuff. Sure. Um, <clears throat> and then we watched the original Candyman, which. Uh, I had never seen it before, and of course the the new one's coming out. So it's a good movie. The, yeah, it was really good. I actually watched it twice. Uh, I did like a digital rental of it, and May and I watched it, and then uh, you know you get those for like forty eight hours, and a couple days later, uh, a friend of May's who is wanting to go see the new one mentioned that she hadn't seen the original. We're like, oh, you should come watch it, because apparently the new one is a sequel to this one. It's not a remake. Uh, I had assumed that the new one was a remake, but it's not. Oh, yeah, no, I mean, I've been seeing the trailer a lot in theaters. It seems pretty clearly a sequel. Well, I haven't seen the trailer since before I watched the original, I guess. So, mm. um, at any rate, no, it's it's a really cool movie. Uh, yeah, it's it's way better than, like, I feel like it gets sort of like, at least for me, it was sort of slotted into, like, these other horror movies from the time. Yeah, I, I think, like, I remember hearing about this movie when I was younger and stuff, and it was just kind of like in with the early 80s, early 90s slasher movie right. mm-hmm. slush. Uh, but then after Get Out came out, and everyone was, like, trying to find other black horror movies uh, I started hearing about this movie and people started revisiting it. And, you know, I started hearing from a lot of people that it's actually a really good movie that has kind of been unfortunately forgotten. And, mm-hmm. 
And and yeah, they're they're correct. There's a lot of really cool stuff in it. Uh, Virginia Madsen's really good. Um, yeah, there's some some real genuine creepy stuff and some you know some good worthwhile thematic stuff going on too. Although some of it is a little bit uh, you know it, there's not it's not like the most finely handled <laughs> in in some aspects, but uh, but yeah. it's pretty good. Yeah, and very excited about the new one. I mean, I, I already wanted to see it, but, um, oh, and then I saw the green Knight, which I know you also saw and also loved. Fucking loved it. Yeah. God, what a movie that was. So great. I'm so glad I got to see it on a big screen too. I'm, if, if they had just put it out streaming over the last year, I probably would have watched it at some point and, you know, it still would have been good, but this is definitely like a, you know, it's one of those, it's like a very slow, deliberately paced movie. And those, at least for me, are always better on a big screen just because it removes a lot of the distractions. And it's, it's one of the most like visually impressive and, and just engrossing movies that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, um, no, it was, it was wonderful. Probably the best thing that I've seen since theaters reopened. If I yeah, to. I think so. I think so. Me too. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, really good. Um, I, I like David Lowry. I've I've liked. I think you like him I've, more than me, or have liked him more than. Yeah, me. I, I I liked. I thought Alien Time Body Saints was okay. I really liked a Ghost Story. I thought an Old Man and the Gun was fantastic. That movie is like exactly my kind of like niche <laughs> thing. Sure. Um, and I, yeah, I loved that one. Um, didn't see Pete's Dragon, although I, I've heard from a fair. I like Pete's Dragon. Dragon is like the one live action remake that's actually worth watching, but I haven't I thought, seen it. Yet. Yeah, I thought it was a really lovely, pretty movie. I liked it a lot. <clears throat> yeah, um, but yeah, I, I would not have necessarily predicted that David Lowry had this in him. No, it's I don't a, think I would have either. It, was, it is. Uh, it's exceptional. It is a. It is. A, it, is it is a monumental movie. Like <laughs> it was. It was borderline to an experience of seeing a Malick film for me, and I do not say that lightly. So. Yeah, I think that's a. I think that's a fair comparison. Um, well, and I think that one can argue is in. I mean, honestly, in a lot of his movies so far, that it often seems like he's sort of attempting that, like that. That's what he was. I mean, especially in the Body Saints, but other. Yeah. And maybe Ghost Story to some degree yeah, too. Yeah, I think Ghost Story to some one, degree you know, a little different. Malick doesn't have anything quite that like supernatural. No, but but, uh, but I think this like it was it was like he found it here. He found the groove. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Mm-hmm. Definitely, that's that's one that I'm definitely going to own, and you know, probably break out every couple of years. Apparently, A24 uh, is releasing a role playing game. Uh, are they? Yeah. I'm hoping that they do like a special edition Blu-ray release, like they did for Midsommar. I still want and Midsommar so bad. It is. It's so cool. But I'm I'm really hoping that they do it. My immediate thought when I saw this in the movie, there's the scene where where the lady gives him that book that's like rounded edges. Yeah. I really want Ooh, them to, yeah. to put it out with that, like the packaging with that shape. That would it'd be, be great. Yeah. I, they probably won't. That would be, you know, it'd be very random if they actually did that. But that, that's what I want. That's yeah. my hope. Um, and then finally, uh, the other night, I went to see Stillwater. Okay. Uh, the new Tom McCarthy movie with Matt Damon and also Abigail Breslin. She was also in, in that movie. <laughs> so full circle here. Um, her first and most recent movie, both covered on this podcast. Um <laughs> Uh, it was really good, though. Uh, it, have you seen the trailer for that or anything? You know, I haven't. 
for some okay. reason. It's another one of those movies where like they marketed it as like a thriller because like how else are you going to market it? But it's actually something a lot more interesting than that. Um, you know, it, it it looks like it's it's like a Taken riff, like you mm, know the mm-hmm. the father trying to help his daughter in a foreign land after she's been unjustly accused of this crime or whatever. But it's actually, it's, there's, there's a lot more going on than that. Uh, Matt Damon's character in this movie is not Liam Neeson's character. In <laughs> like, he's like a perpetual fuck up who, who, you know, has, has ruined his own life and his relationship with his daughter and is now trying to like, kind of trying to make amends and like follow this sort of paternal instinct to help his daughter and, it's but and this, but that's that's just one layer of it. Like there's other stuff going on too. And Matt Damon is great. Uh, weird thing that I didn't expect to ever have happen though. Uh, he looks like our dad. Oh what? Um, <laughs> like, he doesn't really look like him. Obviously, like if you look at it, but like he he dresses like our dad, and he has kind of like oh. similar. Like he carries himself kind of the same way because he's playing. Oh yes, I see that guy. Mm-hmm. So like in he's shots wearing of, our dad's shirt, right? And he wears a baseball cap, and like so, like in shots of him just like walking down the street or whatever, in like a medium shot, there's definitely a like, oh, that's weirdly familiar. Um, that's good to but, know. <laughs> uh, but but Damon is great in it. I mean, he's I, I think he's I kind of think he's one of those like the same category for me as like a Brad Pitt, where he I think he kind of gets under reckoned with as an actor. Uh, cause he's done like some like goofy stuff and he's, I, I, I think he's, he's annoying one of those as a person can, and he's kind of annoying as a person. Yeah. But <laughs> I think he's one of those actors who can do kind of, he can kind of do pretty much anything like he, uh, you know, the, like he, you know, his, his role in this could not be further from his role in like some of the Soderbergh stuff he's done, like the oceans movies or, uh, uh, the informant or some of the, you know, it's just complete opposite ends of the spectrum, but he, He's perfect for it. He does great. Yeah, no, he's a talented guy. And you know, Tom McCarthy. Obviously, uh, love Tom McCarthy. Spotlight and the station agent and yeah, yeah, the visitor, which I love, and we'll get to that one. I think that's uh, that's one we covered for this group. I think. Yeah, I, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's all for movies for me. Um, why don't you do your movies and we'll do TV. My movies will be fairly short. I you've talked about most of what I saw. Um, some things I saw that you did not mention um, is I went to go see the new Suicide Squad. Okay, I haven't seen that one yet. I, I've heard it's really good. It's good. It's fine. Yeah. It's it's top tier DC for me, which is fine. Sure. Uh, <laughs> um, all the stuff with Harley is fucking great, and the rest of it is a little less. So Eric had a, had a thrilling moment that I, I was so proud of him for, um, where there's a, whole, there's a whole scene with Harley fighting a bunch of people mm-hmm. that um very artistically with various things that is clearly um taken and redone from uh birds of prey um mm. eric and eric recognized that it was <laughs> taken from the same space and that different directors made it look different so <laughs> big moment for for, Good eric. for him um eric and i also watched citizen kane which he thought he had seen before but he had not um and you know just gonna put it out there citizen kane good movie did you uh, see that uh criterion is putting out citizen kane as their inaugural 4k release no but that makes sense they just announced that apparently it was it was part of their original batch of laser disc releases 
When, oh, okay. When the, like they their first when they first formed back in the late eighties, early nineties, or whatever it was. But it's been they. I don't think they've ever put out uh, uh, even a DVD of it. So like it's been out of their collection for for decades. But they're they are putting it's it out. It's a great movie. They, it's a great movie that is so much, that is one of those movies I think that tends to be thought of as a homework movie. Feels like a homework mm-hmm. movie when people talk about right. it. Right. It's an eat your vegetables movie. Or right. Some people. Um, yeah. But it's actually it's it's an enjoyable movie, and I said it on Twitter, and I'll say it again. Young Orson Welles in particular, and just Orson Welles in general, but Young Orson Welles in particular, mm-hmm. there was a stone cold fucking fox. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and, and he was. I mean, this is obviously. I'm not exact. I'm hardly the first to point this out, but he was so goddamn young when he made that movie. It's insane. So young. Yeah. He was like in his early 20s. I don't remember it exactly, but it's it's truly insane. It is. It is. And he's and he's fantastic. And the movie is fantastic. And it's it's great. And if you have put off watching Citizen Kane because it feels like it will be too much of a chore, it's really not a chore movie. It's Mm -hmm. it's no, not at all. Fun thing to watch. And it's interesting to watch now and its perspective on media and newspapers and mm-hmm. all of these things. It's, it's interesting to watch now. Celebrity and yeah. So, yeah. yeah. The only other movie that I have watched that I didn't that you did not mention was I watched the, the new Space Jam. Um, oh, you did. <laughs> which I have to say, it is so rare for me to regret watching a movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I want when to come back that I spent watching the goddamn trailer for that movie. Like, when I say that this may actually be the worst movie I've ever seen, <laughs> and that I walked out of this movie, well, not walked out, we stayed home to watch it, thank God, but um, that I, I finished this movie feeling a sense of bleakness about the world. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> I cannot describe. There is a review, and I will include it in the show notes. I will not read the whole thing. It is um, by Shay Gallagher. Um, it's a half-star review of this movie, and I just, I just want to read the final paragraph, which sounds hyperbolic, but when I read it, really did feel like it, it uh, summed up for me how I felt about the movie. <clears throat> Even this review is nothing but my screaming into the void. I am part of the problem, indulging in the very doom saying that may be killing us in the first place. And for that, I'm sorry. But this film offers nothing but despair, a vision of the future where there is no hope, no inspiration, just the decomposing corpses of everything that has come before, mulched into oblivion. With some distance, I feel more and more like I can expunge this film from my mind, but the thoughts it has brought about remain. Please don't worry about me. After all, what good would it do? I'm okay. But if you are still reading my whinging, take note that in this position, I feel like a seer in the face of some impending apocalypse event and I have no choice but to tell you please avoid this film instead go and plant a tree donate what you can <laughs> spend time with someone you love make music make a fucking movie just do a something anything that says we are still here and there is hope all I can hope is that these things might help and can maybe give me the belief that things can be better as I try and prove this to myself. And again, I know this sounds hyperbolic, but that truly is the level of despair that this movie left me with. I have never seen something that made me feel so thoroughly like we were just fucking doomed. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> it was funny. Uh, when uh, when we went to see Pig... We bumped into Jess and Noah and their kids outside the theater. Yeah. And they had just come from seeing yeah. Space Jam. And they both had like, uh, they seemed a little, a little dazed, a little out of it. <laughs> it's, an, it's an appalling experience. I don't know how to, I, I don't know how to strongly enough safely so watch this movie. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, other than that, I watched uh, I, I watched Ever After with Arlene the other night, which I hadn't watched in like a year. I watched it last year. That movie is still fucking perfect and um, holds up in beautiful ways. And now I'm going to talk about my television, and then you can talk about yours. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I don't know exactly where we left off this t- last time, but um, things that I have been watching, I've been watching Schmigadoon on Apple. Okay. Yeah. I have not. I have not seen the final episode, but the first four were very enjoyable. Is it only five episodes? At least this season. I don't know if there's going to be a second. Um, And I've been, I just finished last night, finished the finale of uh, The White Lotus. Uh, I haven't watched the last episode yet. It's Uh, very good. I I think it's very good. I'm super into that show, uh, but I haven't, I have not watched the finale yet. Yeah, no, I I thought, I thought they landed well. Um, Finished Betty. Very, mm-hmm, very mm-hmm. good. Hopefully there's more. Um, mm-hmm. Finally finished uh, Rutherford Falls. I don't know if you've... Uh, no, I don't have, uh, okay, you I don't can use, have that. You can use mine. It's so good. I know you say that every time, but like I I don't want to add another thing uh, to the... I, I I'm kind it, of half deliberately not. I get it. Yeah. But Rutherford Falls is so good. Anyway, also on Peacock, while we were on vacation, um, uh, Mona and Jess and I watched all eight episodes of the uh, miniseries Dr. Death. Okay, yeah. Um, and it was great. I really, really liked it. Um, it is, for those who don't know, based on a true story that mostly took place within the last 10 years um, about a man named uh, Dr. Christopher Dunch, who was um, a neurosurgeon uh, who horrifically maimed, paralyzed, and killed several people. Um, I think his total number of victims, like his total number of operations ended up being like 38. Um, and his and of those, only three of them came out without long term significant damage or death. Wow. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's an appalling story. And it's one of those appalling stories that's like, of course, horrifying. Like, of course, he is. It's horrifying that he did this and that he did this repeatedly, but that he was able to continue doing this, that no one stopped him from doing this, largely because hospitals just kept passing him around to other hospitals. So they didn't have to take mm-hmm. any any responsibility. Um and he and the reason he was caught really was because of um, two doctors in particular and some others as well. But two doctors in particular who had um, been left uh, had, you know, had tried to, to help or fix people that he had um, injured and who sort of like wouldn't let it go. Uh, and they were ultimately he is now serving essentially life um, in in prison. And he is the first doctor to ever have um been tried and convicted for something he did in the operating room. Hmm. Um, and the and the doctor is played by Joshua Jackson, who is just fucking phenomenal in the part, just so great. Um, and uh, the doctors who particularly are working on hunting him down are played by Alec Baldwin and Christian Slater, um, who are also combo. so great and have like a it, the two, like I would watch an entire fucking show of nothing but these two dinguses, um, like flirting slash fighting with each other and trying to solve medical mysteries. It was a delight. Mm. Um, so it, it's really good. It's eight episodes. I, if you're interested in the story and don't want to watch the show, there's also um, at least one pretty good podcast that covers, <laughs> that covers the story. So um, mm. yeah, it's quite a thing. Um, still been watching evil, which is fucking great. Um, and the good fight as well. Mona and Allison and I started watching F boy Island. Uh, we are really? we are only two episodes in. <laughs> uh, I feel like the what I've heard about F Boy Island is 
tonally very similar to what I've heard about the new Space Jam. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's, it's, no, it's, no, it's the nothing like that. civilization that no. no one can believe that anyone got away with making something like that without Oh, God, going no, to... it's nothing like that. It's honestly not, <laughs> um, at least so far, it's honestly not that much worse than, than a lot of the dating reality shows we've watched. Um, I think the, the best thing that I've heard someone say about FY Island was Allison telling me a tweet they saw that... Um, that was basically like on FYI, FYI Island is an is an island in which everyone is a fuckboy, um, including the self-proclaimed nice guys, the fuckboys, the women and the host. Um. <laughs> what, what I heard about it was that the wherever they filmed it, the Bahamas or whatever, that apparently essentially no one in the government there will admit to having granted permission for it. <laughs> I don't know if that means that they shot it without permission or just that no one wants to own up to it. But. I do not know. It's If you're fond of trashy reality TV, it's fun to watch with your friends. That's about all I got there. Um, and uh, uh, finished season two of High School Musical, the musical, the series, which is still great. Um, Superman and Lois is still running. Really do recommend it. It's a really, it's a really enjoyable little run. Um, yeah, I think the only other I, I rewatched the first couple episodes of um, of Love Victor with Arlene on Saturday night, and uh, that show is just really fucking good, and I wish more people um, were watching mm. it. Uh, but yeah, I think that's 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 pretty much it. Mm. Okay. Um, like I said, I've also been watching The White Lotus. Uh, I'll probably have more to say about that next time after I've yeah. finished it, but it's. It's so good, and man, that I'm blanking on his name now. But the guy who plays Armand, who I had never seen before, I was he was completely new to me. But he is so good, and I don't feel like I've ever seen a character like that before. He's great. He's he's very. And of course, it's great to see Steve Zahn again. I haven't seen him in a long time, and I always love him. Uh, So yeah, that's I'm super into that show. Um, uh, Let's see. I've been uh, May and I started watching Death Note. which we were the kind of looking for. The last anime like, I ever will watch. Yeah. <laughs> we were kind of looking for like an anime series to watch because uh, that, I mean, that, that's kind of been a minor thing for, for May. And I've never really gotten into like an anime series before, but I've been, I've been open to it. It's just never happened. Mm. Um, so we decided to start on that one. Um, I think we're like 10 or 12 episodes in now and it's fun. I like it. Uh, I, I do have a, a bit of a like, I feel like there's a there's a bit of a disconnect for me because I know that and I, I'm sure this I know that people who are into anime take it really seriously or that a lot of them do. Yeah. Uh, and I know that this is like a really popular show that a lot of people really love. Um, it's like, you know, it's it's uh, there aren't that many anime that I could name off the top of my head. Right. And this is definitely one of them. Um, but I don't really understand how anyone could take this show seriously. <laughs> like, it's so goofy. And it's yeah. a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it, but I don't really understand how anyone could take it seriously. So, I, but maybe maybe people don't. Maybe this you know this one is is more of just a fun one, and it doesn't really. Ha- but I don't I don't know. But I am I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I really from what enjoy, I've heard, I really enjoy the first two thirds, and then it has yeah, a that's problem that a lot of what I've heard the last like ten episodes or something are completely ridiculous and unnecessary but stupid and this is my this is always my personal problem with anime shows is that i the pay i cannot handle the pacing and so many of them are like burning time while they're waiting for the next episode of the manga to come out and like i just i can't deal with it i think at least in this case the manga was all already out but 
Yes. It no, does. Was, a lot of it does feel like it, it over explains a lot of things in the dialogue. There's definitely a lot of that. Um, like they spend, there's like a, there'll be like a three minute dialogue scene to explain exactly a thing that yeah. like, is like as soon as they first mention it, it's like, Oh, right. Okay. I get it. I know it's happening. And then they keep explaining it. That happens a lot. It's one of those uh, things where I feel like I am totally open to the very definite possibility that I am just not accustomed to the pacing of anime. And so it feels bad to me um, right. that if I watched more of it, I might get more into it, but I just, I, I think I've just written it off at this point. Uh, I'm okay yeah. with movies, but I can't, I can't do the shows. Right. And yeah, I guess I've, you know, I've seen a handful of, of anime movies that I really love. So that, that has kind of opened me up to the possibility of the shows more, but, but the pacing has um, to be different in the movies. And that's the thing I can't deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it is at this point, I'm still really enjoying it. It's a good yeah. time. And the, the design of the, uh, the main, uh, uh, Shinigami, the, I can't remember his name. The main like I, I death demon that yeah. follows him around is so good. Yeah. It's like genuinely creepy every time you see him. It's such a good design. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's that's one thing. Uh, I've been I have been rewatching BoJack Horseman. Nice. Uh, I started that on impulse a few weeks back. I'm most of the way through season two. Uh, and God, the it's it's still like the best thing ever. Um, Perfect show. It's. Yeah. Um uh we have been watching um you didn't mention, have you been watching Mr. Corman? I haven't. I need Joseph to Joseph Gordon Levitt's new show on Apple yeah. TV. Yeah, I know. We're, we've we've watched the first two episodes. I think there's three of them up now, but we've only watched the first two. And it's really good. Good. I'm really into it. it That's you great. know, he wrote and directed, it's like his or he, mm -hmm. he he created it and directed at least some of it. I'm not sure if he directed all of it, but he at least was a co-writer on all of it, I think. And, yeah. Um, and it, it's really good. It's it's a good show. That's uh, great. I definitely recommend it. I think you'll probably enjoy it. Um, I love Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's, Always yeah, happy. It's, it's, it's just, yeah, it's so good to see him again. Like, yeah. I haven't seen him in so long. Yeah, absolutely. He was on WTF a couple weeks ago, too, and he was, he was great. That's awesome. Um, like, he was on promoting it, you know. And it's, mm -hmm. Um. Uh, Ted Lasso season two. Have you been watching that? I have been watching that. Not sure where I'm landing at this point, but it's okay. I it definitely started I'm an episode like back. Okay, it, I felt like it stumbled a bit out of the gate. That first episode was. It felt like they they missed the tone. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's been. I think it has been climbing back. And this most recent episode I thought was fantastic. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you've heard the most recent episode is a Christmas episode, so it's a little saw, weird watching it in August. I saw the title. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's really good. Okay. It's really good. It's and it, it, even from the first episode, it still has a lot of those things that I really like about the show. Like it has a lot of those elements that I that are the things that I really like about it. But there was there were just there were some things that felt off in the first couple episodes, but well, and Eric and I have been watching it together and we had sort of a weird thing the other day where we were two episodes behind. We hadn't watched two and three and I just like hit play on the next episode and it played the episode and we were like, huh? And then I realized that it had played the third episode instead of the second episode. Um, oh. and so we watched the third episode and then went back and watched the second oh, episode. Yeah. That was definitely um, so the, the, the pace was a bit weird. <laughs> I, I will say that the whole the whole that one of the main plot threads in this season is that the, the the team has hired this sports therapist yeah to come in and work with the players and Ted is really uncomfortable with it because he had a bad experience with a therapist with his ex wife and that doesn't strike me as in tune with 
what we saw about Ted in the first. Oh, I don't season. think that's why he's actually uncomfortable with it. <laughs> well, maybe not, but the fact that he would be uncomfortable with it at all doesn't. Oh, it, I think it, it does. It's out of character for him. I think that Ted does not tend to like he want like he finds his way out of his sad times. Like, it's not that he doesn't experience them at all, but he finds his way out of his sad times through this sort of like intense optimism that like he is able to do, which like broke his relationship. Let's be clear. I mean, not in a way yeah. that his fault, but like in a way that like this is how he has learned to cope with life. And I 100 percent think that it is totally possible that this woman who like doesn't respond to his like the ways that he's learned to interact with people and the way that he expects or wants her to would make him feel threatened. I, I Well, but he was he was uncomfortable with just the concept before he even met her. It's not just about his impression of her. I feel like it's not that uncommon for people. To, <laughs> I don't know. I don't it's, think it's uncommon. I don't think it's uncommon at all, but I don't think it makes sense with him because he's, he's so like his whole thing is like whatever anyone wants to do to find a way to make life work. Go for it. Like that's that's like his whole vibe about everything, and it 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 just seems out of character for me. That I don't know. I like I said, I'm you know, I, I am I am. It is the the second season has been getting better in my opinion. It's and this most recent episode was really good. Cool. I finally started watching uh, Mythic Quest, mm-hmm. also on Apple TV. That's why it's showing up on my Apple TV. I'm yeah, like, <laughs> that's probably why it played episode three. Oh, so because you watched episode two. Okay, so it's been doing weird. The last couple times we've gone to watch an episode of Ted Lasso, when we play it, it plays the one we already watched. It's done that a couple times, so that is probably why. Because it's they took away the like separate profiles. profiles, Yeah. So yeah, so we're we're overlapping now. So that's yeah, we'll have to be more careful. It's fine. I just. (laughs) um, But yeah, so I've been watching Mythic Quest, which I I it's always sunny is one of my favorite shows. uh, I, I am not as I, I think it's fine. Like after like 10 seasons, it finally started dropping a bit in quality. And I don't think the last couple have been as good. Um, but I love that show. And uh, I've, it was one of the, it was one of those shows that like I watched over and over again for a period. But when Mythic Quest, which is like, you know, it's Rob McElhinney and it's a lot of the same people. Um, I heard really mixed things about it when it first came out. I feel like most of what I heard about the first season when it first came out was that there was one really great episode and the rest of it was just kind of okay. Mm -hmm. But then the second second season came out recently and I've seen a lot more really positive things about it. So I decided to give it a try and I really like it. I'm really into it. I haven't quite finished the first season yet, but I'm glad I finally finally decided to check it out because I really like it. I think it's really funny. Totally different feel, totally different world from It's Always Sunny. Um, Mm -hmm. But... Yeah, it's it really doesn't good. really interest me, but I'm glad to hear. That's to hear. yeah. That, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really expect it to, but uh, yeah, yeah. No, I really like it. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting one thing, but we've been going for a very long time at this point, so that's yeah. probably okay. We can probably bring it up next time if it sticks around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All up? right. Okay. Well, we will see y'all next time, and we'll talk about No Country for Old Men, which is very exciting. Yeah, I am excited for that one. Yes. (laughs) All right, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye.